Hey everybody, welcome to the 70th episode of the JDO Show. I am your host, J. David Osborne, and today on the show I have David James Keaton on to talk about Wonder Woman, which I didn't see, but Dave gives a pretty good wrap-up of. We also talk about the movies that I watched when I was on the plane to Seoul, South Korea. I watched Get Out, Split, Silence, and Hacksaw Ridge. So I go over those a little bit, little capsule reviews. Our conversation sort of veers all over the place, as it normally does. It's always wildly entertaining to get Dave's opinions on movies because he's just pretty much one of the smartest movie people that I know. The next episode, I'm not sure what I'm going to put it out, but Rios and I have recorded our wrap-up of our trip to Seoul. We talk about all the fun stuff that we did and uh, some of the funny things that we observed. Let's see. What else? What else do we got here? Oh, yeah, I'm going to record with... Oh, yeah, I'm going to record a podcast with Joey Grantham of Disorder Press, um, which he runs with his sister. And those episodes are going to be kind of like these are with Dave. But me and Joey are going to be talking about books. Uh, So that's actually going to be like the book, the book nook, if you will. The podcast, as I see it, is going to kind of split off into different directions, but it's all going to be the JDO show. I don't know if I'm going to maybe put little subtitles on them just so that you know what kind of episode it is. But basically, I'm going to keep doing, you know, movie talk with David Keaton. I'm going to do book talk with Joey Grantham. Uh, I'm going to do author interviews, which are just, you know, the one-on-one kind of show that you're used to. And then I was thinking about, I've been really wanting to do shows with non-author, non-artist people. Just kind of people, just a man on the street kind of thing, except not really like that at all. So I'll divide those up into different ways, and it'll all make sense, I promise. But I just I feel kind of like branching out. Um, even though I do, I kind of feel like talking to more authors now, too. So, I mean, you never know. There might just be like a ton of episodes of the JDO show in the future because I just want to do eight different things at once. So you'll get a lot more uh, in the ways of shows. By the way, if you are enjoying this show... I would really, really appreciate it if you went over to Patreon and uh, threw me a buck a month or something like that. It would just be really cool. Um, this It's not super expensive to run the podcast. I mean, it's just it's just a time thing, and I do pay for the hosting and stuff like that. So it would just be cool to, uh, I don't know, if, you, if you're enjoying this. I know that there's a lot of content out there that's super free um, and that we're kind of getting used to the idea that content just is free. And it's kind of hard to make that that leap in your brain, like, what? why should I pay for it when it's just given to me? Um, but it would just be cool. I'm moving to El Paso soon, and um, I'll have to get a job as soon as I get there, probably. But um, the cost of living is so low in El Paso that the idea is that if I can kind of get this Patreon going just a little bit, and then get Broken River going just a little bit, which it, it sort of is, it's just that that money has been pretty much... Uh, tied up the entire time in Oregon just because the cost of living is so high. Um, and then, you know, my own books and stuff like that. Like, and then also freelancing. Basically, all the things that I do here in Oregon, in addition to having a job, might actually be enough to just pay for a decent lifestyle in El Paso. That's, that's my main reason for wanting to move. I just kind of wanted my dollars to go further, and I wanted to be able to start putting money into Broken River. I'm rambling. Let's see, we've got some other news. Uh, <coughs> like a weird gargle in my throat that's annoying me. 
Oh yeah, uh, Cody Goodfellow and I have written a novel together. It's called The Snake Handler. That is available for purchase at codyandjdo.bigcartel.com. Once again, that is codyandjdo.bigcartel.com. We did our final proofs on it today. We got the full cover from Matthew Rivera. It looks great. We're sending it to the printer. And then we're going to order a bunch of copies and sign them and then ship them off. So you'll be doing, uh, it's it's a really, really fun book, and you'll be doing us a solid if you check that out, uh, get you a copy, get two copies, I don't know, it's however many copies you want, it's, it's fine, one copy is probably fine. Let's see, July 11th, Hard Sentences comes out, it's the anthology that David James Keaton edited for Broken River, about uh, stories themed around Alcatraz, and there's some really great writers on there. Amber Sparks, Nick Mamatas, Rob Hart. There's 19 stories in total, so, you know, you get a wide variety of writers in this one. And uh, just between you and me, this is a podcast exclusive, but if you go to Amazon, it's actually already out. But we're not announcing it because we had set our date at July 11th, but when we were uploading the files, Amazon just decided to do whatever the fuck it wanted to, and it put the book up. So then we took it down, and then when people went to go look for the book, they were saying things to the effect of, what the fuck, like, it's it's out of stock already? Holy shit, because Amazon puts a little out-of-stock sign-up. So we just decided to go ahead and let it be live. So it's actually available. That's the, that's the announcement. Uh, Hard Sentences is available for purchase. And uh, you heard it here first, folks. Let's see, what else is new? I had mentioned earlier that I'm moving to El Paso. I've really enjoyed my time in Portland, but it's time for me to go. I see the writing on the wall. I really do believe that the cost of living is just going to continue to rise here. Rios and I got back from South Korea, and we had our lease renewal, um, and we took a look at it. And $1,100, folks, $1,100 for a 440-square-foot apartment in Tigard. I'm not even in Portland. I'm in the I'm in the burbs, dude. So I'm I'm way out here, and uh, you know we have two months, and we could go into the city and we could look for apartments again, and we could go through all that. But I just don't feel I feel like Portland and I we we ran our course together, and I enjoyed my time. I'm not gonna shit talk Portland too much. Uh, there's a lot about it that I really like. There's a lot about it that I don't like. But the fact of the matter, Rios and I realize that we're not going to... <clears throat> our future is not in Portland. So if our future isn't in Portland, we might as well move to a place where it's cheaper and we can focus on actually building that future together. Because here, it's just every dollar that comes in, it goes right back out the door uh, towards cost of living. I mean, everything from groceries to um, to rent to... It's the kind of place where if you go out and you have the audacity to do, like, one fun thing. Like, you know, every month, uh, you know, we go out to dinner at this place that we don't like, and it's really nice. And the check is, like, 35 40 bucks or something like that. And um, every time that happens, I get, I get like, a little panic attack because I'm, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, it's not super healthy, I think, to live in a place where you can't do a fun thing every once in a while because everything has to be so so tight so el paso's cost of living is about half that of portland and we've got friends and family there and um yeah i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be hot as hell 
Um, El Paso does not have an airport that flies to anywhere but Dallas and Austin and Denver. So flying places is going to be a slight pain in the ass. Um, what else? I mean, hot, desolate, but it gets a bad rap. A lot of people talk shit about El Paso. I went to school there to UTEP for a year, and I love the shit out of it. I think it's a beautiful town. I, um, I never understood people who, uh, most people who told me that they hated it were people who'd lived there their whole lives. And yeah, I mean, of course to them, it's, it's just boring ass El Paso, but I like it. I dig it. So anyhow, that's the new chapter in my life. Hopefully it'll work out for the best. And, uh, I think I've talked your ear off enough on this. So let's jump into this episode. We talk about Wonder Woman. We talk about Get Out, Split, Hacksaw Ridge, and Silence. And we talk about a bunch of other shit, too. There's there's a lot of really kind of film sort of theory talk about what makes things work and what makes them not work. I hope you enjoy this 70th episode of The JDO Show with David James Keaton talking about Wonder Woman. To the wonderful world, man! <laughs> I, don't re- I don't really remember... I'm, I'm assuming that Wonder Woman, the, sh- the show, had a pretty kick-ass theme song. I have no idea what it was, though. Yeah, you know, it was actually, it was like, Wonder Woman. <laughs> That's it? But better if you say, a wonderful woman. Oh, okay, okay, right on, right on. Well, I'm really happy that we have Wonder Woman as a part of the resistance myself. Yeah, I get, it was worth seeing. I mean, it's, I don't know, should we just jump right in? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't see why not. Like, basically, for, for, for you guys listening at home, I have not seen the film. And so, uh, so Dave is going to actually uh, describe the movie to me, and then I'm going to decide whether it's good or not based on his description. A wonderful woman. Well, um, it's it's worth seeing. I mean, it became really worth seeing because it was so hard for us to see it on that particular day. So, you know, how last time we talked about expectations and, you know, like uh, you bring a lot of baggage to your particular viewing. Mm-hmm. Like this particular viewing was so hard to do right. <laughs> that, uh, and I, I should give a little background on that. So we we tried to go see it almost on a whim. We were walking through campus and we passed a couple of uh, students, and these uh, two young women were like, "Are you going to go see Wonder Woman?" And the other one said, "Oh yeah, you know, I got to do my part, fight the power." <laughs> and so Amy was like, "Okay, we got to go see what's making people do that. You know, that sounds that sounds important." And so I said, all right, let's... Oh, hold on. Let, let, me, let me stop you real quick because I can hear myself echoing. Do you have headphones? Oh, yeah. This is like you're uncomfortably close. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. All right, cool. So, so you and Amy, uh, you know, you saw somebody kind of framing this movie as an, as an important thing that had to be done. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah that's... So uh, we're like, we got we to gotta go do it. Um, and like we said last time, that, that immediately disqualifies me from being able to offer an opinion on this movie because... It was so important that we go see it that day. So I could not be going into it with an objective mind, if that's even possible. And I don't think it's even possible on a normal day. So we go to the first theater. We're trying to get a, I think like a three o'clock showing. We're there about 15 minutes early, sold out, Whoa. sold out. Whoa. So we're like, and this is, uh, I think it was, on a th- it was on a Thursday. And we thought, huh, well, I guess we underestimated its popularity. So we said, well, there's another theater that's only five minutes away. Let's go down to that one. So we go down to that one. We get there. This one, we're like 20 minutes early. 
They're like, sorry, one seat left. Whoa. We're like, we're like, holy shit, we are doing something important. We need to see this movie. <laughs> this, we have to see this movie by the end of the day, or we did not do our part. So um, then it, it got really complicated. We could either go twenty or go a half hour away for a movie that started ten minutes after that, mm-hmm. or we could go fifteen minutes away for a movie that was starting in fifteen minutes. And then we thought, well, the later movies, maybe there's a better chance. And it got a lot of math started to happen, a lot of game theory. Right. And uh, we rolled the dice and we went a half hour away and luckily got to see A Wonderful Woman. Oh, and it was, was it worth it? No. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no it, was, it was worth it because uh, I would say the first the first half was worth it. Because we, when we got in there, there was, we were the excitement was was real you know people mm-hmm. were excited about seeing this movie right and um more importantly this this uh a gaggle of like eight eight preteens eight tweens mm-hmm. uh came rolling in with their dad he had uh he had like two armloads of popcorn buckets and they took up the whole row in front of us just piling in and they and these these young girls are very excited about going to see this movie i don't think i remember ever seeing that right i don't not that movies are a masculine thing but i have not seen uh such an obvious event mm-hmm. for um for girls of that age i just haven't seen it you know so then i'm seeing it through their eyes so i'm really into the movie for a while because they they were into it you know and i was and that's just like when you show somebody a movie and you start to cringe if it's not great or mm-hmm. get really excited if it's decent um their expectations were lower. So I was really into it for the first, uh, for like the first half hour, you know, they, they were on the edge of the seat. I was on the edge of my seat. Dad was, seemed a little bored. Uh, he was, he was on popcorn duty and I'm not even exaggerating. He had like five, five of them to his left and three of them to his right. And they must all piled in the van. They couldn't all be his cause they were the same, same age. Unless, I don't know. Is that, is that weird to say? Maybe he adopted them. I don't know, but it looked, it looked like a field trip. Yeah, he was he was doing he was doing dad duty. Sounds like yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so they were, you know, that was that was fun, that was fun. But um, it uh, the other things that kind of ruined the experience for me are I had to go see 3D because it was the only movie time that was available. Oh god damn it, man! And 3D is the worst thing that's happened to film since since uh, CGI. since C- CGI. Yeah, it, it's fucking horrible. Everything looked like everything that was supposed to look good looked like, um, you know, paper dolls. Everything looks two dimensional. It looks like a 3D house of cards. And so this bright and engaging opening, which was what made this movie look good to me in the preview, at least compared to the other, you know, murky tin can fests that Snyder puts out. Mm -hmm. This 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 looked like it was taking place in a brightly lit kind of uh, resort (laughs) community. Sure, sure. And all that shit was wasted because I was watching it through some fucking 3D Merc. Yeah. And it's already dimming problem. Plus the projector wasn't set properly. So it was already slightly dimmer than it should have been. The lights didn't seem like they went. I don't know. Mm-hmm. A lot of complaints about it. So that um, it didn't look great. And it should have looked, it should have been bright. And those beach scenes should have been amazing. And I was looking at glasses through glasses. And it was this dimly lit two-dimensional thing and 3d's never worked have you ever seen a 3d movie that worked no i I, so i've seen a few i I think i watched avatar when it came out uh which is just a really bad movie in general 
so I think I think what's always uh, kind of surprised. I also saw like a reworked. Remember when they rebooted Clash of the Titans with that? I group? remember. Yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah, so it was the guy. It was the same. I think Sam Worthington is his name. He was the dude in Avatar. But like they they tried to make him happen for a minute, but it just didn't really work. He was in uh, he was actually in Hacksaw Ridge. Now that I think about it, which is something that I can get to later. Uh, okay. In in the in the airplane capsule reviews, but um, but so the, it had I, I saw like two Sam Worthington movies in a row, and in both cases, Avatar was made to be looked at in 3D, and Clash of the Titans was not. They had like they had retrofitted it with 3D. And right. I remember reading reviews saying, you know, Clash of the Titans looks terrible. They try. I couldn't tell the fucking difference between the two movies. Like, it's just never. I guess when I've gone to see it, I I can't wrap my head around how it makes anything better ever. It's like when something yeah. explodes, it's like, dude, there's like a million particles that come out at you, and <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I know that I'm watching a fucking movie. Like when. The, the the word it, right. the word immersion is isn't because it's supposed to feel like it's happening around you. You're supposed right. to be like invested in the story. So there have been there have been moments where I've thought that 3D was used in like a pretty cool way. I think um, I, I think I saw what did I see? I saw some sci-fi. It was one of the Star Wars the new Star Wars movies I saw in 3D. And some of that shit is cool, you know, like the it was the Force Awakens, yeah. So like the lightsabers coming out and stuff, and right, like that was kind of cool. But it doesn't, it's it's it, what you said is it, it's not worth it because in order to achieve those effects, there really does have to be. It seems like like a, almost like a flattening of the rest of the movie, basically. It, it, yeah, it is, and I don't know if this means that this one was uh, was retrofitted, like you said, but it it couldn't have. I think it was just because it looked jarringly two dimensional. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that's the brutal irony, right? Three D makes things look two dimensional. It makes them look like they're they're lined up and layered in a way that that there is some depth to the field of vision, but they still make it makes them look like they're made out of paper. Right. So that's not that's not good. And I think it's, I think what they're trying to do is revisit that moment that um, that happened like in 1896 when that uh, was the the arrival of a train at a station that little black and white movie yeah. where people famously hit the deck because they thought the train was going to hit them. Right. And so what people talk. Fucking morons. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I know. But it was 1896. You know what? They lived to be 14 years old and they played with rocks as toys. What yeah. they, it, it was a tough existence. So when they went, <laughs> they went to see this movie, the arrival of a train, maybe the title had something to do with it. Cause it mm-hmm. sounds like you're actually going to see the arrival of a train. What a fucking sad life. It's like, Hey, hey boys, pilot, we're going to go watch the train pull in. And the boys are like, Two days in a row, Pop? Wow. <laughs> Tomorrow we're going to go see The Garbage Gets Taken Out, the movie. <laughs> but yeah, the arrival of the train was just it was just featuring the technology of showing head-on a train coming. Mm-hmm. And people were like, holy shit, that's real. So it feels like people are trying to get back to this moment of mistaking films for reality. And like you said, it'll never, ever happen. Right. Because you have to make it look more artificial to try to make it seem like it's in the room. That seems like a stupid way of thinking. Yeah. And I don't remember 3D ever looking good, but I remember it being exciting as a kid, you know, with the, the blue and red glasses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that looked like shit, but I was, wasn't expecting something to look like it was coming towards me. So maybe um, they're trying to recapture that moment, mm-hmm. like when they, 
They had. Uh, do you remember when they had? Um, well, this was probably way before your time. On TV, they broadcast uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. So you went out to uh, participating stores and you got your 3D glasses. And then at uh, four o'clock that afternoon, they played a 3D movie on TV. And it was like one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. You know, that's pretty it was, cool. Yeah, that's a so, cool, like, event thing. It, yeah. So it feels like they tried to get that back, but you can't get that back because that was when there was no expectations at all from the format. And now I would rather have a crystal clear vision of the film, preferably on film, but I'll take digital if I have to get it. And if I'm going to take digital, it, it better be crystal clear. You know, I don't need that murk mm-hmm. of them trying to make it look like it's coming towards me. So, yeah. you, know, you know, of all the, of all the new uh, like kind of upgrades, I think I, I think that digital bothers me the least, but it just kind of depends on what they do with it, you know, because some stuff is, I think, supposed to look like it's on film. There's there's just a, a qualitative difference, right, between right. things that are on film and things that are digital. I think that I think that it was okay, kind of, when uh, David Lynch did it because his shit is just like so weird. It kind of just I don't know. It for some reason it worked. Maybe you can kind of tell me you mean, why. But his I mean, switch. You mean his switch to digital or his? Uh... his yeah, his, his switch to digital. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think really worked, but it was. It was jarring when that happened, and I I was resistant to it. Mm-hmm. But he did it with Inland Empire, right? That was his yeah. first. Yeah. And uh, you know that movie blew my doors off. So whatever he needed to do to get that out into the world, I right. I, I wouldn't care if it was, you know, if it, you could only see it if you you saw it through a um, transistor radio. But that's what's funny about him is he he's so weird about about the way his movies are presented and he lectures you on the DVDs right. like be sure to make sure that your room lights are turned down and your blacks are correct color bars will help you with that it is a <laughs> real sadness that you're watching this incorrectly and he's really really a stickler for that kind of shit so when he switched to digital I thought it was this betrayal but um, when you watch that movie it does feel like a jerky um nervous movie so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it suited it but a digital a digital epic always feels like a contradiction to me but uh, that's that's just me i'm you know well, it's like i don't know what happens man i think it's i think it's got to do something with this idea of flattening right where it's when you have digital like things can look too crisp i've never been able to get into blu-ray or you know like blu-ray on an hd screen because right. the only thing that ends up looking real <clears throat> are the actual actors that are in the thing. Like even the costumes start to look like costumes because yeah. they I mean they do there was something that happened with film that just kind of flattened everything out into the same universe, but it's just it's so jarring when everything's HD, everything looks it's it's the it's the brutal like kind of ironic uh uh contradiction which is the the better the picture gets like the, the cheap more, the yeah, cheaper it looks, yeah. The cheaper the movie looks. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. That was the, uh, we called it the soap opera effect when the HD TVs first came out. I still have the biggest tube TV you can get, this Trinitron, uh, Sony Trinitron monstrosity that two people have ripped their pants on trying to move. <laughs> and uh, I, I've taken it everywhere I've moved to, and I keep waiting for it to blow. It actually got hit, our, well, our building got hit by lightning back in uh, Perrysburg. Uh, it, and it put a green glow in one corner, yeah. um, but it still looks better than an HD TV because 
first of all, it's a tube TV and it doesn't have that, that adjustment you're trying to do with, with your uh, media where you try to make it imitate film. You have to give it that motion flow adjustment and you have to give it a theater quality, like haze. And that's just because it, like you said, it's too crisp and it looks like a soap opera. It looks like you're watching a rehearsal. It makes every movie look like a, a rehearsal of a film. Right. And, uh, you need sort of that film haze. Now, I don't think that this is the case for everybody. I think that this new generation of, of people don't need it. I think that they've been they've grown up on HD, and to them it looks fine. Um, you know, it's a it's a great sadness, yeah. <laughs> as Lynch would say. Well, but let I... me tell. Let me, well, <laughs> it's a, you could say the same thing about those damn energy drinks. What, what, what about a nice cup of coffee? A nice cup of David Lynch brand. <laughs> Yeah, he, he had his coffee for a while there, didn't he? Like he was—that was his big thing. Because he's always like, "I quit film. Now I'm making coffee." <laughs> like <laughs> one of his one of his high points in his in his dark days when he was gone. Uh, have you ever seen those weather reports? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are amazing. Yeah, where he was on where he was on Twitter. He did that on Twitter for a while. Yeah, and then one day, just this weird face showed up, and he just let people lose their minds. He didn't explain it. <laughs> Dude, yeah. he's awesome. But yeah, no. Uh, a, but uh, but uh, so wait. Well, we should we should go back to to a wonderful woman. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to Wonder Woman. Yeah. Well, well, I guess we should acknowledge the 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 director because there was a there's a lot of people talking about how um, it's important that a woman made this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the director, uh, I hadn't, I wasn't familiar with her. I mean, I was familiar with her previous movie, but now I can't even remember what it was. Um, what's her name? Uh, Jenkins. Jenkins. I, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what her previous movie was. All of a sudden, we can look it up. I'll look it up real fast. Yeah, look it up. But so what's funny is that there's now this big battle. You know, outside of uh, whether this movie is good or bad, there's this battle mm-hmm. going on about whether it's perfect or worthless. You know, right, right, right. and that's that's the the argument that is so insufferable. So we have a bunch of fucking movie amateurs that should not even be watching the things, saying that she's the worst director that's ever been, or also that she's the second coming. Right. And she both did. Of, uh, she did Monster, by the way. Oh, a great movie. Yeah. A great movie. Oh, but that's that's interesting because that goes into some of the. <clears throat> strengths and and weaknesses of this movie but um so yeah so she's not the second coming and she's not uh the worst director ever um her strengths are clearly there in the first half she knows character and she knows how to um how to make it work well for the for the movie there's a lot of um fish out of water kind of stuff that works really well and the island stuff works good and i think that she has an investment in making those characters um, land mm-hmm. and to make, and to make a row full of, um, young women be like, fuck yeah. You know, right. I think that that's, um, even though monster is about the, uh, like the only documented, one of the only documented female serial killers, there's still, that's sort of a triumph to make that, to tell that story. Oh yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, you can't help. I mean, in monster too, you can't help. I mean, before things kind of go off the rails, like, when she first starts out, like you're kind of rooting for her, and you know what I mean? Like it's like, yeah. yeah, it's because I mean, you know, there's that whole like there's that brutal rape, and you know, so I mean, like, but it's not just that. I mean, she's she, the director. I mean, I, I should probably, since we're over here, like David Lynch, David Lynch, and then we're like, who's that broad who did Wonder Woman? <laughs> like, um, 
Jenkins. I'll start calling her by. I'll be respectful. So, so yeah. J- Jenkins is really good at, at. I mean, she made you care about you know both of the characters in Monster. So. For sure. Yeah, and and that's the trick, right? Is with a serial killer movie, you're you're starting at zero. You have to get um, you have to get, gain sympathy for where you're going to take them, and she did that. So you know, big success that movie. This one, her limitations are there though because I don't see. I don't. There's a lot of smallness to this massive event movie. Mm-hmm. It it feels kind of small, and uh, the second, I wouldn't say the second half because I was still pretty into it in the middle. The last third, she runs into, and it's not even her fault. She runs into the clear limitations of this genre, which is mm. that it's that it's a dead fucking end. She so she does what she can with it for as long as she can, and it and it doesn't help that she's not an action director. An action director can push those limitations out of the way for a long time, and uh, she's not. Um, I don't I don't see any evidence of her being somebody who can move all those puzzle pieces to keep us distracted long enough to to forget that we're in a, a superhero piece of shit. Right, right. And now if, now if they had Catherine Bigelow, if it's important to make. If it's important that a woman made this movie, that's the only reason I would say, well, what about Catherine Bigelow? Because why would I say another woman? Because it seems to be important that another woman do this movie. Okay, so there's people out there that you could have plugged into this that could have kept the limitations at bay for a long time. And she's one of them. I don't know if you're familiar with Catherine Bigelow. Like the, um, the Hurt Locker and uh, oh, Zero Dark Dirty, right? That's the other one. Well, sure, but now you're showing your age there because that's that's the new Catherine Bigelow. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, that, point blank. Yeah, exa- point blank. exactly. Yeah. That's the now the the version I grew up with was a uh, um, was her doing very well in a sort of masculine dominated field, which was with uh, Blue Steel was her um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, uh, that's, I like that movie. Vigilante movie. Yeah, that one you might like it more because it's uh, you might feel that sort of uh, horror hybrid tinge yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah, that's it was co-written by Eric Red, the guy who did The Hitcher and Near Dark. Oh, tight. Yeah, that's cool. So, so it feels it feels a little a little mean. You know, it's got that little meanness to it. So that one's great. And uh, yeah, Point Break, uh, Point Break, and uh, Strange Days was her was what I consider her oh, master. I love that movie. That movie's fucking. They used to show that on Showtime. All so that was one of those movies where. Before I saw it all the way through, I saw it about three times in pieces, and <laughs> it, it was one of those the, the beauties of having, uh, you know, cable as a kid was that I pieced a lot of movies together, and I actually made better movies because you have to stitch them yourself, and right. then, like you, it's like watching movies Tarantino style but without Tarantino actually doing it. So it's like you see the middle, and you have to go do something, and then you see right, the, right. part of the beginning, and you're like oh, I wonder how those two threads connect. And then you watch the end, and you're like, well, how the fuck did it get here? And eventually, if we can... Uh, so, so rewind again. So you were talking about the limitations, and uh, when I was uh, in Korea, they kept showing uh, Age of Ultron on this one channel. Oh, my God, what a piece of shit. Well, I had never seen it, man, and I kind of watched Age of Ultron in the exact same way I just talked to you about like how we made how, I, how I'd seen Strange. Oh, wait, you had a point about Catherine Bigelow. Do you want to finish that point real fast? Well, I was just going to say that, um, you know, she Strange Days, I'm, it's interesting you watch it in parts because it feels like a miniseries, but it's it's definitely her, like, blue-tinged 80s high point, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a bit overlong. It's kind of pedantic. 
with the, the kind of race stuff, but it was of its time. And I think that's the director, not the Catherine Bigelow now, mm-hmm. um, although she's very, she's become really technically proficient as far as making very realistic war on screen. And that could have, they could have used some of that. But um, I think if we could somehow, you know, get the time machine and have <laughs> Strange Days Catherine Bigelow direct Wonder Woman, it would be a home run. Yeah. And that, w- and I would, um, I wouldn't say it's. I would definitely say it's the the best DC movie if that if that happened. As it stands, the problems with the last third of it are so severe that um, uh, it, I don't think anybody could have saved it. The the thing about, I don't know. It's weird that we're even, I don't know, I feel weird that I'm even saying, why can't we give this one other woman to do it? It's like when, uh, do you remember when Spike Lee um, said that only white people should be involved in making Malcolm X when he was getting all the Malcolm X uh, stuff together? Mm-mm. And uh, what cracks me up about that <laughs> is I love Malcolm X, love Spike Lee, but and I love the movie Summer of Sam. But have you ever seen Summer of Sam? Yeah. About the movie about the Italian community starring famously Colombian actor John Leguizamo. Yeah, it's got John Leguizamo and like what, like Mira Servino's in it also. She's like Italian, right? Well, she's Italian, but you know, Leguizamo is is about as Colombian as you get, right. and he's he's supposed to be playing this real you know spaghetti twirling Guido. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just makes you, the whole time you're thinking, has Spike Lee ever met an Italian? <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, no white people will be involved in Malcolm X. And right. meanwhile, he can't tell white people apart because he just he just cast this dude right. as as like uh, fucking De Niro. Um, right. But it, although he would do a good De Niro impression, anyway, just it feels weird to say it has to be Catherine Bigelow. But that's just because I really like Catherine Bigelow more than I think it, it has to be a woman doing it. Right. Um, anyway, I don't know. Hurt Locker's pretty good, but I've I've seen it three times now mm-hmm. and just to make sure I still hated it. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's a pretty good version of, of what, what it is, but it's so dull for her to win an Oscar for that, for doing, I don't know. It, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like an Oscar winner. It, Which one it did felt she like, win for? Was it Hurt Locker? Or zero yeah. Character? Oh, it was Hurt Locker. Really? Wow. Yeah. She won, she won for Hurt Locker. That was her big moment. And, you know, everybody, didn't everybody famously compare to her ex-husband, James Cameron? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And saying, like, uh, this is her James Cameron moment. And there were, there were people trying to say uh, criticize her by saying, you know, Cameron was involved in all those 80s movies. And looking at them, you know, they look, they're very blue, right. like, a James, like a James Cameron movie. They look a lot like a James Cameron movie. So there's all these people, you know, trying to take it away from her and say, you know, those are essentially James Cameron movies because they're produced by him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what did, they, what did she have to do with them? But um, I, I think that she's in a lot of ways better than James Cameron, yeah. maybe not as proficient technically, but he's got real script issues, you know? Dude, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, let's be real. I mean, like, we got Terminator 2, Aliens, uh, we, The Abyss is pretty good, um, and then Titanic is, is, a, is not a good movie. Um, <laughs> Avatar is, like, one of the worst, one of, like, the worst Terrible. movies ever. Terrible. Um, and, and so, I mean, I, I really do think that, like, Cameron... Cameron's like he's like an '80s rock star, right? He's like one of these hair bands. When you go back and listen to the songs, you know, a lot of the songs aren't very substantial, right? Like right. You, you can't really name very many 
Motley Crue songs, unless you were a huge Motley Crue fan, I guess. But, you know, they don't have those classics, but they were just so fucking big at the time that people yeah. just remember Motley Crue, you know? Like, that's and just they're, a, yeah, I totally agree. And they're like comfort food, you know? I can watch those, and I don't see their flaws because... And I know they're terrible. I'd say except for Titanic, because that was past that heyday. But I'll watch The Abyss, and I know that there's things that are really problematic in that movie. And I just love every minute of it because of the nostalgia factor. And I don't really have that with Catherine Bigelow, I guess. I started to analyze her movies more than his because she came, she was like the second incarnation of Cameron. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's like the only time I think nepotism is okay is in the arts. Like if, right. if this, her skills and his skills came from the same marriage or the same – or if she gets to be a uh, you know a huge director and has some shortcuts because of him, I'm kind of okay with that because in the arts it's the only time nepotism doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. It feels like you those skills came from a similar place, right? Um, and, and so I I think that uh, she she was poised to become so, sort of take over from because he got sidetracked with fucking cartoons mm-hmm. and stuck in yeah. stuck in Avatar Land. Uh, but the fact that she did it with all these ultra-realistic war movies, Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, uh, they just bore the shit out of me. If they could take, if they could combine both ends of her brain, um, with well, you know, I shouldn't even say that because they, she seems to be um, drawing on both sides of her brain in that trailer. I hope it's good. There's a movie coming out called Detroit. Oh, uh, that's her. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Which is. Um, uh, that uh, riot and that siege and some bad cop shit. That trailer looked pretty good. Right. You know, it looked kind of, kind of, um, kind of trashy, but also kind of important at the right. same time. And, and, and meanwhile, I, uh, meanwhile, James Cameron's over here is like, so in Avatar two, <laughs> two of the blue people can put their hair in one dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Who asked for that? Did anybody ask for Avatar 2? He's, well, he says that he's got, what, like eight movies? And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, slow your roll, buddy. Down. <laughs> Dude, in, in class, we have this uh, this unit on um, on analyzing film as a text. And there's a big Avatar unit. And I used it three years ago when I was in Kentucky. And at that point, it was on the verge of it's lost from all collective human memory no one knows what it is i was so excited i thought hey we're gonna re- i've been talking about fucking stanley kubrick all week so i'm gonna bust out one of the big hits that these kids are like let's talk, <laughs> let's talk avatar and they didn't know what it was there was a couple of them that knew like three years ago mm-hmm. so this year i took it off the curriculum because i don't want to see their eyes glaze over they don't even know what the big lebowski is the avatar has shot out of our brains so fast <laughs> It was just like a bad relationship. It's like it's like basically, you know, you're with a you're with your partner for years and years, and you, you know, you really really love each other, and then you break up, and then you like drive by, and you you, you see her like sitting in a shopping cart in basketball shorts and a Billabong shirt, and you just like it haunts you for a couple of years, and then you're just like, I need to move on from this, you know. I hope that, well, that she's doing well. Well, your your analogy is perfect for another reason because. In a bad relationship, you do talk about that enough to remember it. The only people that remember Avatar are the people like us that are complaining about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The people that that happily absorbed it and thought that was decent, that's the ones who don't remember it. That's the ones who are who are like in a Twilight Zone episode where you're using another language. You're like, what? Avatar? I don't right. remember that at all. Right. 
So well, it's uh, so so to kind of rewind a little bit. When I was in Korea, like uh, so, they showed Age of Ultron, and I, I am going to bring this back to to Wonder Woman because uh, it's something you said that reminded me of it. But so Rios and I watched it, and we both just like halfway through, we looked at each other, and <laughs> we we couldn't. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. Right? It was, were you looking at hordes of swarming CGI bullshit? Well, it's not even that, man. It's that whoever thought that they could stitch together 32 characters into a movie <laughs> into two hours and like have through lines like emotional through lines in in the film like had that like cocaine must have come back you know what i mean because everybody was like we can put them all together and this will t-. like there i i had never i don't think in my life seen a film and I've seen a lot of like okay, so maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe like something on like Mystery Science Theater three thousand, like. But it was that like that didn't somehow just didn't stitch together with any rhyme or reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like is that should... the? I don't even remember it very well because they're all run together. Is that the one where they? There's actually a subplot where they stop at a ranch and cut wood. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. And, that feels uh, like. That feels like another lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the city, like, it floats and then... But anyway, but so, okay, so we came back and on Netflix they had Civil War. And so Rios put that on. And that one, whoever does those movies, those two guys who did, like, Winter Soldier and Civil War, like, the thing that basically makes those movies work so well is that they have... I feel like they have pretty incredible action scenes. Um, like, I, yeah. I was very engaged with pretty much every... And they keep the action scenes flowing together pretty well. I mean, whenever the, all the Avengers fight, it was it was. I think I talked to you about it. And you said it was like low stakes, and I agree, right? Because you know that no, none of them are going to die, right? Right. And, yeah. No, um, I, I I totally agree with you. The uh, the the overpoweredness of her is one of those things that really screws up the ending of this movie. And like when you talk about uh, was it Civil War? Is that the one where he's holding onto a helicopter with one hand? Yeah. That is so badass, dude, because right. the, the stakes are about as low as you can get. And right. he's just barely stronger than a human being. So he's barely taking, uh, keeping this helicopter from taking off one-handed. You know, he's all flexing. But you see something like that, that, that moment that's kind of insignificant in that giant world-ending plot that we don't give a shit about. But, like, how many chin-ups are you going to do after you see him holding on dude, to a helicopter? I, I, I blacked out, and I don't know what I said, because when I woke up, I had a gay dating app on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, dude. Exactly. So when Wonder Woman has a moment like that, we'll, we'll get to it later when I'm going to talk about the plot so that you know what movie you've, you've not seen. Right. Uh, there's a moment at the end, uh, I don't know, just somebody's zipping around and tossing tossing cars and tanks like paper dolls and that doesn't inspire shit you know mm -hmm. like to have her if she would have just flexed and slowly picked up a motorcycle and walked around with it under her arm yeah. that would that would be so badass because it's 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 something that our our brains can get behind or something i don't know there's just there's just no inspiring feeling to somebody hovering a couple feet off the ground and shooting intangible beams of bullshit out of their hands or whatever that means nothing mm -hmm. you know but if somebody does something on a smaller scale with an with an effort with a palpable effort and that's what these movies don't have that anymore everybody's ridiculously super powered or the, they're adjust the powers are adjustable depending on the moment right and uh that's that's the one of the problems with the third act i, I definitely agree yeah. um yes because that's 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 the thing that i think you're talking about what you had mentioned 
you know, these, these movies bump up against an impossible problem. And the impossible problem of movies is that, of these superhero movies, that is, is that you, is that, well, I guess, one, that they're franchises, right? So, I mean, you know that, you know, you're not even going to get, if, if, if a character dies, it's a Jesus thing and they're going to rise again and blah, blah, blah. It's the same, it's the same problem, to be honest with you. The, the reason why I never really got into comics, I, I used to get into like the sort of indie graphic novel type stuff, but I could never ever get into superhero comics because nobody ever dies, right? Like right. it's this it's this myth cycle where, where people are reborn again. And as myth cycles, I don't have a problem with them existing. It's just not compelling. And they're but they're and they're also that's good kids entertainment. I mean, the 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 elephant in the room is that a wonderful woman is a children's film. Yep. Just just like all of these things are a children's film. Yep. The 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 audience was sitting in front of me and they were enjoying it. And for people to try to map on something else to this children's film, like they try to map onto these other superhero movies, is embarrassing. Right. I was like, it's, it's embarrassing that fucking grown-ass people are so attached or that their right. identities and worlds will crumble if the superhero, if the billion-dollar monstrosity doesn't make its billion, somehow we're going to, you know, we're going to fall apart. Like, pick some other fucking heroes, you know. I know these are superheroes, but... Like these people that are so into superheroes at this stage in their in their lives is in, it's embarrassing. That's going to be controversial, probably. But no, it's, I mean, it's fucking like, it's, it's fucking it's, embarrassing, and it's, it's like you know you know when my dad like like my dad and my granddad when they reached a certain age, they got really interested in World War Two, and they right? they read a bunch <laughs> of books on like Teddy Roosevelt and you know the Rough Riders and World War Two, and I was always like, oh, what a bunch of dorks, you know, like the military thing. But it's like you know that might be what you know, dudes who get a certain age should be doing. Now we see the opposite of that, where dudes get to be that age and they're still wearing Misfits t-shirts and whining about, like, what the new superhero... And it's grotesque, man. It's fucking awful. It's something Somebody said the other day, they're like, nothing worse than a than an, uh, a grown-ass man in a black t-shirt with something cool on it. <laughs> and I, I, looked, I looked sadly down at my Pulp Fiction t-shirt that I was wearing. <laughs> but... Whenever I think of a superhero, I think of this one dude um, that I used to work with at this closed captioning place. And I have no problem telling the story because he unfriended me on Facebook at some point. <laughs> uh, he, he seemed pretty cool. And, you know, we talked a little bit and he's, he was into superhero movies. This was about 10, 10 years ago. And uh, he got a promotion, um, which seemed impossible, the captioning job, because it was a, it was a dead end job. He got a promotion to some sort of sales position. So he got out of cubicle land where I was living and he moved over to an office. So um, I went by to see his office, you know, check it out. And uh, he had taken his office and he had taken this whole wall of bookshelves and he had very careful, carefully posed a shit ton of uh, action figures. Oh, nice. Yes. Now, this is his move. This is his, his move up to where he's wearing a tie every day. And uh, and he's interacting with our bosses. And I'm kind of like a little bit impressed by it. Right. Yes. Until I walked into that room. And I saw that he had these fucking dioramas going on <laughs> of his of his of his favorite uh, his favorite superheroes, and uh, I was just, it was just embarrassing to look at. And right. at some point they they phased him out, and um, I don't know if he had to combine offices. Dude, I, don't know. I wish I could have <laughs> had a fucking camera in the office when for him. Having to take his having to pack up his action figures. <laughs> He's like, and uh, Spider Man, I'll miss you most of all. <laughs> Like how did he pack that up? Like that's when you that's when you dive out the window. That's when 
Looking back, maybe that's when all workplace massacres happen is somebody was packing up their action figures. <laughs> They're like, I can't, I can't deal with this embarrassment. I will have to come back. I'm going to kill back, come back and kill every witness. <laughs> so, anyway. It's like, oh, man, the, la- the last uh, guy who shot up a post office, he just had, like, his cubicle just had nothing but cut out Ziggy. Like, like... <laughs> It's like nobody can fuck with my Ziggy collection. Uh, I mean, it's, anyway. it's, it's a cautionary tale. Don't decorate your desk with too much shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, for uh, sure. So, so the, the as 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 this, so the guy gets fired, and then yeah, that, I think that was the end of the story. I oh, just, right on, right on. Yeah, yeah. I just imagine I imagine him packing up his his action figures. Oh, I, and ste- I just I stepped on your punchline. My bad, dude. No, no, we 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 came to it together. It cool. was a. We we gazed into each other's eyes and we got it. <laughs> we had it together. It was simultaneous. Oh my but, god, that's fantastic! Though. But they yeah, but they uh, you know I don't know. I can't get that excited. I get as excited as I can about these movies as a spectacle. But as far as a, a movement, um, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I'm but actually, she, like but right she looks now. good. But she looks good, dude. She looks great. I don't know. This is what I was saying to you earlier. Yeah. You know, all my all my woke friends right. tearing themselves apart, tearing themselves <laughs> in half, trying not to comment on her body right. when it's when it's kind of the point. When she's fighting in a metal bathing suit, and we're like, well, at least there's no male gaze in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and like all the dudes are like. Totally, you know. Yeah. Like lo- we're like looking at each other, like yeah, no, no, definitely. No, no, no male gaze. No, no male gaze at all. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, she's hot as hell, dude. I mean, that was actually my favorite part of Batman Superman. I, I, I feel like talking. Wonder Woman sounds really cool, and I, I'm probably gonna watch it. Um, it got absolutely insane um review, like positive reviews, which was crazy. I did not expect that actually. Um, yeah, which and that'll for, it'll forever ruin your viewing because your expectations are too high now. Well, that's the thing. It's like I, it's th- that's the problem with reviews, right? And it's the problem with the Rotten Tomatoes, you know, positive or negative, and then kind of you know aggregating all that and coming up with a number. It's like it's like, but how much did people really like it? You know what I mean? It's like, with, especially with superhero movies. You know, there was a period of time where every superhero movie was tracking like ninety, you know, ninety five percent. But like the reviews were like, this is not offensive. You know. Um, right. Well, I, I should. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was. I was just gonna say I should probably talk about um, a little bit more about the plot. We get, these are fun tangents, but I want to give you an idea of what how the movie's structured because it's, it's it's fatally flawed with its structure. Okay. Yeah. I hope that this doesn't like sometimes with my. Remember last time, like when it got starts. To, the, yeah, the fifteen minute drops starting now. Yeah. Yeah. So. If that happens, it's okay. We'll just keep rolling right along. But you, but when I left, you were going to start talking about the um, the problems yeah. of the plot. Well, j- yeah, it. Um, uh, well, I should preface it by saying when we talked about uh, the reviews and the reviews are universally great. Um, like I said earlier, it reached its audience really well, which were preteens, teenagers sitting in front of me. Mm-hmm. They loved it. They loved the movie. So, it, if you want to go see that kind of movie you're probably very happy with it. If you don't have a problem with the f- fatal flaws of superhero movies, you'll probably love it. Um, I still think superhero movies can be done well. Uh, they're getting, uh, the, it's diminishing returns though. So maybe we're never going to get it again, but um, I think, about I think that, Black Panther looks really cool just cause it's like got a unique visual style to it. Yeah. That song went a long way. I, I Googled that song. Um, and I didn't care for the with the lyrics. I, I thought uh, 
it's had such a great sound to it that uh, what is it uh, Killer Mike? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like Run it's, the Jewels. It's, it's Run the Jewels. Yeah. Um, the rapping sounded a little weak. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just it had such a badass end to that trailer. But they're, they've always been good at trailers. That's one thing I, that's critic-proof is they've been really good at making trailers that make you interested, and I fall for them every time, and then I come back and complain about them. But, <laughs> but there's a ha- about halfway through this movie, there's a high point where they pro- if they would have ended the movie, it would have been much better. And there's a, it's a big reveal where um, she's kind of had to put her, her powers aside because she's trying to blend in and, uh, you know, World War One. Uh, England, uh, trench wars going on. And uh, that's where you get all the fish out of water stuff, you know, her hide, trying to hide her sword. She's uh, a lot of skin underneath this big overcoat, and people are like, whoa, what's uh, what's what's going on there with her? You know, that kind of stuff's fun. Oh, it was all this then. Oh. Exactly. Oi! Oh. <laughs> Oi, did I see that bird's gams? <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just a lonely chimney sweep, but I will say that that woman is a wonderful thing. Exactly. Like that? Okay. Exactly. Cool. exactly. And that stuff goes a long way because, you know, you're building up suspense. When's she going to drop that coat and kick somebody's ass? So the moment that she does finally drop the burka and, uh, and kick a bunch of ass in a metal swimsuit, um, with, you know, no male gaze present here. Well, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, with a bunch of like shivering GIs in the trenches, getting a good look at her, you know, slow motion striding into battle. That shit's amazing. Man, we don't we don't have enough blood for these men to get bonus. <laughs> plasma, plasma. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Continue. No, that's that's fine. It's. It's like a hundred degrees here today, and I don't know if I don't know if I was I was sweating from the male gaze or from your, <laughs> from your fucking from your fucking chimney sweep. Uh, 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 okay, so what happened? Oh yeah, the tr- the trench warfare stuff is pretty sweet, but it also um, it also shows like there's something going on there. I don't know if there's a deleted scene, but she she kind of kicks a bunch of ass, but then they all the people that are in the trench that she has just taken over vanish. Whoa. So there's either a real bad editing glitch or maybe the squad she's with gunned down a bunch of people and they thought, well, that's not going to play too well to the middle America. Right, right, right. Because it's almost like a video game. They just sort of blink out of existence and it had a real hiccup there. Mm-hmm. But um, but that whole thing and like taking over a town, that shit works really good. And um, it also kind of establishes her her squad She's got this. I thought this worked really well too, uh, because she's so powerful. I'm sure the screenwriters are like, "Who can we pair her with?" And is it going to be like them, you know, fighting for screen time? Because that's not going to work. Because she's so powerful. So they give her this uh, this squad of defectives. And, uh, there's like these defectives and fuck ups, and mm-hmm. there's like a sniper who can't, who never snipes anyone, and uh, some drunk, and the main guy is essentially useless. And that kind of works for it. That's because, a great idea, man. That's a, that's, yeah. a, that's a good solve. Yeah, isn't that a good solve? So I was excited about that when it, when I started to realize that they were such a mess and that she was, um, you know, carrying carrying all this whole crew through everything. Uh, I was like, that's a really good idea. Um, but then again, when the sniper never snipes anybody and you think he's going to work through it somehow, he, he can't pull the trigger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I can appreciate that. And maybe there's a deleted scene where he does shoot somebody, but it, it's kind of weird non issue with him. Like I felt like they spent a little too much time establishing his deficiencies so that he could never overcome them was a little confusing. Mm-hmm. I just would have made them even worse at what they were doing. Um, but they're just bad enough that that it's kind of interesting. And also they another thing that they did that was interesting and in that they dropped they fucking dropped the ball on this. They made uh what I thought was going to be the arch villain also a woman, which made it really interesting. You know, like uh the world of men is this petty uh war uh mongers and above that are these other people that are pl- tr- playing this chess game, right? Mm. That's that's what I was hoping was going to happen. Right. But but she's sidelined this uh, villain. You know, spoiler alert: there's a um, the the villain, the woman villain, is sidelined by pouting about the by, by not being flirted with, but with the the male lead. It's so goofy. What? Like, Wait, hold on. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that makes any sense, like she's a she's established as this terrifying presence. And then the the other villain starts to slowly overshadow her, and to kind of get her out of the movie, Chris Pine half-ass seduces her, and then uh, then catches sight of Wonder Woman in a dress for the first time, and he's like, Arr! and the fucking <laughs> the, the Tex Avery eyes roll out, yeah. and he leaves her. She's just like, uh, well, fuck you then. And that's, that is bizarre, man. That is a really strange move for that movie because you want to see them remain in, I don't know, beneath them. Mm-hmm. But in, instead she's just, I don't know, relegated to this second fiddle. And then the true horror emerges, which is the villain villain problem of these movies remains a huge problem. The villain is, is so bad that um, I'm sure Ultron is pr- right up there with the terrible villains uh, even though it has a great, I love James Spader, but it, it's kind of worthless. It's a, you know, this metal indestructible thing. It's uh, it, what's so, so sad is it's, he's the villains played by David Thewlis. Spoiler alert, because yeah. you see him early on. Thule, I love David Thewlis. I did and too, man. Na- you, you showed me uh, naked. Oh my God. Naked is, and that just shows you his strengths, which is he's this verbal mastermind. You know, he ad libs a lot of that movie mm. and he is a witty quick terrifying presence so imagine them fucking up david thulis and they do really he was a he was a a pretty actually a pretty good villain in Dragonheart. (laughs) you remember that movie i don't remember yeah i I just remember the previews for that oh you never saw it no i I remember the uh, sean connery is the dragon right yeah 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 well david thulis is the bad guy and he's the uh, so the the movies to to take a a quick unexpected detour into Dragonheart. Um, the the concept of the movie is really good. You've got Dennis Quaid, who's like this uh, warrior who's like sworn to protect a king, right? And the king gets uh, killed, basically. The king is uh, David Thewlis. And he's this, you know, at this point... He's oh, like, yeah, yeah, the hearts are... He's got half yeah, the heart. Or he's something. got half the heart of the dragon. And then so then Dennis Quaid becomes buddies with the dragon. And David Thewlis right. becomes this fucking monster. And But in, if one of them dies, the other one dies, right? Okay. And man, I'm not gonna lie. Like he he plays that character really well. Like he's he's a good bad guy. Yeah, they should have let him choose some scenery, but instead, early on, he's he's in Harry Potter mode and he's just kind of a fop. Mm-hmm. And then when he's unleashed, uh, it's basically um, it's this sort of uh, 
gold armored muscular Xbox bullshit with his head on it. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm making it sound better than it is. Like like imagine this guy who like I said he he goes he gave one of my favorite performances in a movie where he, like we talked about serial killer movies have to start at zero and get you to have sympathy for somebody and naked the movie starts with him raping somebody and then uh, miraculously lets you want to follow his story after that. Right. Just because of his like verbal uh, uh, acrobatics, you know, because this guy is, his mind is something you want to listen to, even though he's a horrible, horrible person. So you take, so as a villain, it seems like a no brainer, like let him choose some scenery. Let's see this guy unleashed. And all he does is say that fucking substandard Tolkien bullshit, you know, like destinies are being destined or whatever. Right, right, our, right. Our, we, our lives are intertwined. Shit's foretold. You know, he just says meaningless stuff. And then I, I barely remember it. And I just saw it the other day. He, then he's floating a couple feet off the ground and there's intangible rays and shit shooting out of him and shooting at her. And then one of them, you know, the, the rays overpower the other and he explodes. And that's what? Oh my! Mistake. So they 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 fucking they Dragon Ball Z it. Yeah, basically. Wow! What the fuck, man? Okay, it's well, so, and, and that and that and that's the problem that we're running into, right? Is that like these movies don't like the Dark Knight has its problems, but I think what like what made the Dark Knight work so well is that every movie at, like doesn't necessarily end with a win, you know? Right. Like, like Dark Knight ends, and he's essentially taking the blame for everything is being pursued, you know, blah, 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 all this kind of shit. Like, like that's what made those movies compelling. And then like in every superhero movie since then, pretty much like you have to have that all powerful, like where it's like, if we just make it bigger, you know, everything will work. That's what I think made the civil war movie and uh winter soldier soldier two uh, actually work. Is that like, they, they just brought it home, you know, to where it's like, is is Chris Evans going to be able to keep that helicopter there? You know, am yeah, I am I going to you know still be able to be married after this is done, or am I going to go cruising? Right, like yeah. And the Winter Soldier one was smart to get rid of everybody else. Yeah, like it it just wiped the board clean and just used a couple of them, and it used a couple of them with some very more human powers, right? Yeah. So you've got Black Widow and him and Winter Soldier, right? And the villain is um. You know, he's got a metal arm, but uh, other than that, they're they're very grounded, and that shit works well. So when, like you like you just said, it's a very arbitrary ending. I would be really surprised if uh, if Jenkins, the director, had anything to do with it. It looked right. like one of those. It would look like a sequence that was farmed out. The actors were nowhere near it. Their faces were mapped onto something. You know, maybe a couple shots of people panting as they lay on the tarmac, wondering, "Oh, what have I done?" But other than that, it was. It was a fucking farmed out to some, uh, you know, industrial light and magic shit show who who puts out intangible beams. Right. Here's your inta- here's your intangible beam scene. Um, we don't we don't know why she's shooting beams out of her body now. We never established that. And honestly, she she might not be. I don't fucking remember. I think maybe it came from the bracelets. That's how well it stuck with me. Right. Can you can you imagine watching something that you're really enjoying and you can't remember the ending at all? It's yeah. the la- the last. 15 minutes of that movie are like the entirety of Avatar, essentially. <laughs> yeah, no. No, and I mean, and that's the thing, and that's why it might, you know, it might have so many positive reviews, you know, because it's, it's one of those things where it almost seems like the limit of a superhero movie is you can, you can make the beginning entertaining, 
and you can make the first few battles entertaining. But I, li- dude, I seriously have not seen an entertaining final battle in a superhero movie in a long time, and that includes Civil War. You know, like the because the, the final battle isn't even the Avengers. You know, like the the best action scene in that movie happened like the, are are the ones that happened in Africa, um, it, right. with, with like the chase, and then there's like uh, the one that happens with uh, Winter Soldier where he's like uh, running faster than car- it takes place in like a a tunnel with a bunch of cars and shit, and it's where he like grabs the motorcycle and flips it around and just, like it, there's a lot of really cool stunt work and stuff like that, but. But then after that, like once it gets to a certain point where it's big, and like you said, it's not always intangible beams, but you know, punching really hard is also an intangible beam. Definitely. And, and so it's like, okay, how much harder? Bet you didn't know this guy could punch even harder. <laughs> like, That's what's so funny about. Uh, is it Ultron? Where, where the punching? They've they've already made these things off the charts as far as punch power yeah so at one point the, the iron man character summons a bigger punch from from some satellite no, they, well he no he has he has the big suit he has the big suit right. he's fighting the hulk and, right so, and, here, so here's some more punch for you because and then he punches the hulk's fist they fist bump really hard and it, exactly. just, and it destroys a city <laughs> yeah which is hilarious it's the equivalent of if you have if you're listening to music and you're listening to it all the way turned all the way up, like where do you go from there? They've they've started with their their punching is so off the charts that you can't have them in any peril unless you invent like they're they're like okay, what if that Iron Man suit was a little bigger? Right, <laughs> yes. right. Because yeah. we can't turn we, we can't go to eleven. Right. Can we turn it? Can we turn it up to eleven? <laughs> and then I like how in the, all these movies too, like they try to answer these questions like, you know, we're destroying these cities like. What is it? What is it doing to the world? You know what I mean? And it's yeah, like, that nobody gives up. Like, stop pretending like we care about that shit. You know what I mean? Right. Like, exactly. And like, I think that that might have something to do with that mysterious edit in the middle of this movie where all her foes vanish. Is maybe they deleted some sort of collateral damage or something? But I mean, that, that's a, Wonder Woman I, just going in and finishing the job, like, yeah. like just just in the middle stabbing of the night, dudes in the throat. Like. Yeah. In the middle of the night, there's a deleted scene where she just sneaks in there, breaks necks one at a time, and she just looks. She just looks kind of sad and forlorn. She's like, crack, crack, ne- just neck to neck. Yeah, they left that scene out. And then it was Which, like, then it was like, well, you know, Gal Gadot, she's Israeli. This might be too much of like a parallel to maybe some modern events that are going. Yeah, we're gonna just we're just gonna leave that out. Yeah, just let that float there. Yeah. But it, the, one thing that's kind of a paradox is, um, I don't know what your opinion is of 300. 300 is, for some reason, I get really engaged with that movie, and I don't know uh, if that uh, what that says about me it's as a person. It's because you're gay. But yeah, it's, no, I mean, uh, I you know, to be honest with you, man, like that movie was so original and fresh when it came out. But I, it's got all the flaws of his his movies, you know, like the, the idea of being in this weird limbo soundstage look, but not even a soundstage, right? It's a, they're literally in a hard drive. Yeah, It's a, yeah. it's a brownish limbo where they're fighting. So it has, it has no scope. So why it goes against everything I would normally be into, but I think because on a smaller level battle to battle, I was into it or well, something. They, and they, I think it was the first movie that I saw where they did that super, super slow-mo that goes back into regular speed. So there's like the scene where, you know, uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like Leonidas will go through and he'll just like, it's kind of like old boy, but obviously, you know, all computer generated and like, but it slows way down and you get to see him do the move and then it speeds up and he like cuts their head off and shit. 
and like exactly. and and that that trick was cool like it's been it's been fucking driven into the ground by now where it's well, like hey, oh it's going to slow down and then speed up again and blah 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 but you like that trick you, you i have a movie for you what's it if called? you like that trick a wonderful woman because <laughs> they do that nine thousand times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they do the there's usually it's a spin a spin really slow and it's slow and then there's a the kick across the face well it's like it's like they always like they've completely misunderstood what makes that interesting too and it's that you're slowing it down so that you can see like the maneuver that leads to the kill shot right but just like somebody just spinning to do a roundhouse kick or whatever or not a roundhouse right. whatever you call those spinning kicks the spin part isn't interesting, you know what I mean? Like, but they fuck that up on so many movies. Like, they'll slow it way down to like show fucking John Wick like reloading his gun and then speed it back up and he does all the moves and stuff. Which yeah. was kind of a bad example because John Wick is a fantastic movie, but you, you, you but, get what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's it's very much like um, uh, David Cronenberg did something similar with uh, Crash, or, or as I refer to it, the Good Crash. Yeah. So in Crash. Um, which is based on a book about a ton of car crashes. Uh, he knew he was going to have to have all these car crashes. And he said in an interview, he's like, I realized that I'm not interested in car crashes. I'm interested in the aftermath. I'm in- interested in the damage. So if you watch that movie, every car crash is done almost in this arbitrary metal punch. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And, and then all of a sudden the camera goes, boom, and slows way down. And then the camera, you know, it's, lingers over a hissing radiator and there's a little bit of blood and there's uh, bumpers curled up and there's a the tires deflating and that's the shit that he indulged in and that's kind of what 300 did except it did it with you know gr- grotesque violence yeah. but it, le- it let you see the the effect of what these things what was happening almost like uh, in a cheesy way like the uh the Sonny Chiba movies where you'd punch somebody and then you get an X-ray version of what happens right, to their bones. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. So, th- so that has an impact. So you're absolutely right. To slow it down before the thing that you care about is happening, which is the actual act, it makes no sense. Even though it's it's a little bit the opposite, but Cronenberg said, I have no interest in that. What I'm interested in is the is the wreckage of the body and, the, and of the car. So that made it really riveting to watch. And it made it every time that the violence happened, it was jarring because and, and you also you knew you weren't going to get you were going to spend a lot of time on it, even when it was a big setup like the James Dean wreck. Do you remember that in the movie? Yeah. Yeah. With uh, was that Elias Codius? Is that his, oh, yeah. how you pronounce it? Oh. Yeah. That guy is like the he's so fucking good, man. He's so oh, good he's, at he's everything. Great. He's, he's so pervy and weird. He's, he's got that scar. He's got that weird scar. <laughs> and he's just like. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Spader's good. Uh, who is it? Is it Rebecca Demort? Dem- is that wait? No, uh, not not her. De- Deborah Unger's in it, right? Right. Uh, and I remember, I remember, I remember De- Deborah Unger because she was in like some softcore called like Black Widow that I watched many a time on Showtime. Um, or maybe it was like a Poison Ivy movie or something. Anyway. Yeah, I think it might have been Poison. Black Widow had uh, uh, Tari- uh, starts with a T. She did the movie Whore and. Um, and Deborah Wing. <laughs> that wait, that movie that sounds that sounds like it's a bad movie. That's a it's a Ken Russell movie, I think. Oh, Isn't okay, it? right on. Yeah, yeah no, Ken I have Russell. no idea. I have no idea. But yeah, no. And then of course, wait. you know, we'll go back to the boy James Spader. Like he's like Crash. Oh, he was Crash in, is a fantastic yeah. movie. He was in Horror Two. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think there's a he did. He did. He did this string of movies. Like there was Crash, but weren't there other ones where like 
that, that, that were like these weird sex movies where like oh we were, hell yeah dude hell yeah dude he we was were supposed your... to we were supposed to believe that like james spader was a sexual being it never t- it never took for me it never I'm took convinced. he's my go-to guy dude he i'm convinced first of all crash has one of the best introductions of a character ever if do you remember how james spader is first introduced to the audience no you have first he's named after the author in the movie too just like in the book so it's his name's ballard so it opens with you see uh, a woman bent over, so her her ass is just sticking up. Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then he and he pops up his face where it was buried in her ass, and, yep. he, and they're like, uh, "Mr. Ballard, to the set, please." And he's like, "Oh, just a minute," and like wipes his mouth. <laughs> to- I mean, top that, right? Yeah, that's how yeah. that's how you introduce somebody. But right. yeah, he had a, he had a lot of those sort of skeevy movies, but. See, I knew um, him. I knew him from Stargate. The first movie I saw him in was Stargate. I went to go see Stargate <laughs> in the theater, and I just oh no, where he's got that little lisp. He's like, oh, it's, it's the seventh thimble. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you know, like all these movies, like it's amazing to me how quickly these movies become problematic. Because Stargate was what, like ninety five, ninety six, something like that, and then. You know, you go back and watch it, and it's essentially just like a going native movie, right? Like this white guy shows up, with a bunch of brown people, and he's like super into their culture. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then he's like, "I don't want to leave. I like it here." And then they end up fighting a bunch of like, I don't know, Egyptian Stargate rules. Though I'm not gonna hate on Stargate. That movie Star- kicks ass. Well, Stargate. It- for its time, it was fun, I guess. But it. That's I was, one in, of those I was mo- in the theater. I was in the theater, and I remember that. Because specifically, we pissed off the person in front of us so bad. Me and my buddy did because we kept kicking the seat. Like we were the obnoxious kids in there, oh, and sweet. like, and I remember like me and my friend. It was literally one of the first movies I'd gone to see in the theater. I'd seen like Ninja Turtles two, and like some other shit. And then I went to go. I saw Home Alone two, and then I saw Stargate. And the part where Kurt Russell goes, "Give my regards to King Tut, asshole," and then slams that dude's hand <laughs> on the ground, and he gets crushed by the fucking wah, 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 whatever that like portal thing is. Right. I was like, "This is the like." We both just went, "Yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that movie—that's one of those movies that's they—they only happen right around that time period too, where you can watch them run out of money while the movie's happening. <laughs> So the the beginning, the beginning, they excavate this big, you know, stone ring and there's so much promise, you know, and they go through the thing and you see one one alien creature and you're like, OK, OK, right. we're, we're going to see some more aliens pretty soon. Right. And they're like, let's know, let's get the money's worth out of this one alien creature. You're like, oh, hmm, I wonder if we're going to see anything else. And then you see, you know, the the sort of uh, uh, the, the kind of Bush League Egyptian village. And then the movie runs out of money. And so you have really bad effects. You have just sort of a screeching like, finale. Like pointing up at the sky and the, like the, the spaceships just look like a black thumbnail. Yeah. And <laughs> notice there's like there was only two spaceships that they used and they, they used the hell out of them. Yeah. So that that's kind of fun. And that wasn't that. Uh, is that Roland Emmerich? Emmerich? Mm-hmm, Emmerich? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was his that was his breakthrough. He did this really weird movie called Moon 44 before that, which was kind of a staple at the at the rental place where I was working. And it's where these these people are navigating. I don't even remember it. It's some sort of war movie. But basically, there's these guys who all have co-pilots who are young men and there's sort of an implied inappropriate relationship that all the captains have with their sidekicks. Oh, sick. It's very weird movie. 
And uh, dude, I like that idea needs to be fucking brought back. Yeah, and it feels like he was on to some doing something weird, but then Stargate hit, and then he became you know the the uh, apocalypse porn guy with uh, well, Rowan Elmick. He, he is gay, right? Like he's a gay dude. Oh, is he? Uh, his his brother acts in movies too. You've seen him in well, you might not have seen him in nineties movies. Bo- I don't know Bolin, much about Boland Emmerich. <laughs> I don't know what his name is. Roland kind of, Boland. He just he just looks like a dad type. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it uh, if you check it out, it's not. I can't recommend it because it's not very good. But you can tell there were some ideas swirling around where he wanted to explore, like what happens if you're in a ship alone with, with your little, uh, you know, your you, your little buddy for too long. <laughs> Dude, is something weird going on there? And who if I if I mapped all this onto it myself, I don't even remember. But you're, you're gonna watch and you're like, there's none of that subtext, dude. There's like there's like one scene where a young guy takes his shirt off. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of move on from Wonder Woman here, uh, just a little bit because I went to Korea and uh, it's a long flight, and I watched a bunch of movies, and I think you've seen yeah. some of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, did I ask you for? I said to save your list so that we could hear it now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what, so what? I watched two movies back to back. One of them was Hacksaw Ridge, where it's just like it's Mel Gibson doing violence porn, but just like you know, it takes place in the Pacific Theater. So right. it's basically a bunch of white dudes like cutting Japanese people's throats, and you know, it's very rah rah jingoistic type stuff. And then I watched Silence by Martin Scorsese, where um, uh, you know. It takes place in Japan and is a little bit. It felt it felt racist to me, but I can't put my finger on why. Um, okay. But I liked I liked both of those movies a lot. I thought. Well, well we're off to a good start because I haven't seen either of those movies. Okay, cool. Okay, so I actually I said those two because I had a feeling you might not have seen those. The other two we'll probably get more out of, but like, so Silence was um, it it was Scorsese in full on. Uh, exploring his catholicism mode okay so he's yeah he's in art mode he's like uh yeah, yeah he's like springsteen who alternates he makes one important album and then he makes like the e street band goofy album sure, sure. so so scorsese's on the he's on the serious album basically basically and they've said that it's like his last movie which shut as long as he's is, that's what the thing as long as these filmmakers are alive they're gonna make another fucking movie because it's like right. I'm so tired of hearing like, oh, David Lynch. He says he's done after Twin Peaks. It's like, shut up! And then all of a sudden, like that that tune has changed, and he's like, well, I might do another one. He never. I was <laughs> I was mis I was misquoted. Um, but anyway, so like, Silence is essentially about um, a Christian missionary in Japan who goes missing, and this is the 1600s when uh, Christianity was punishable by like torture and death, I guess. Um, and then so uh, he's played by Liam Neeson and he goes missing. And so Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver play Jesuit priests who go looking for him in Japan. And uh, I like the movie, man. It looks really good. It's got, you know, really good performances and shit. But the uh, the whole thing of the movie, are you going to watch it? I don't want to spoil it if you're going to watch it. I, I will see it eventually. I mean, I, I like his stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of The Departed. That's one of his. You know, that's his E Street Band album, right. Departed. Right. And I and I like his his more ponderous, serious stuff. But like you said, he he's got more movies in him. These guys, um, they just get discouraged. They do, they get discouraged with all these uh, superhero movies, and so they they throw 
they do a big internet flounce. They're never going to make a movie again. But they, he's they probably... go on they go on Brett Easton Ellis's podcast and talk <laughs> right. about the death of aesthetics. And Brett is like, hmm, very interesting. Yeah, I didn't really think Moonlight was that great, but I really liked King Cobra, the other gay movie that came out. It's like, shut the fuck up. Oh, but man. like, yeah, it's like Sidney LeMay uh, did uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I when love he was, when that he... movie. That movie's so good, man. You know, he was like 80. He was like 80-something. No, that, that was his last movie, right? Right. And yeah. that, that movie looks like it was made by a 25-year-old uh, director wanting to make a splash with something. You know what I mean? That movie was I, – I, you know, I might rewatch that tonight, man. That movie is so good. But, see, but that's the kind of thing that these guys still have in them, like – you know, they, they can do, even to them, maybe that feels like a, a, a really easy exercise to make a Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, a genre piece like that for these important guys. But to us, they're doing it better than other people do it. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So in, in Silence, basically, uh, it's it's very sweep. It's three hours long, so it's super sweeping. And, you know, the, the character goes through a lot of different arcs. And it's about, like, you know, faith and basically pretending that you're not Christian in order to make it in a society that looks down upon Christians, but really you're Christian the whole time. And it's very clearly like an allegory for Scorsese's own faith. He's like, you know, I make all these movies and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, deep down, I'm really Christian the whole time. So that felt a little heavy handed to me. And then Hacksaw Ridge is just pretty much, it's straight up. It's also a very faith-based movie, you know, Mel Gibson, obviously. Right. And it's just about this dopey Christian Right. His character is, is essentially like just so dumb and so incapable of like intellectual, like of just thinking, basically. But he's but he sticks to his convictions. Right. So it's about this guy in World War Two who signs up uh, to, to go to the Pacific Theater, but he refuses to touch a gun because he's a Seventh Day Adventist. So like the fact that Seventh Day Adventists are in, completely insane is completely overlooked, obviously, because it's Mel Gibson. And, right. uh, you know, and so the first half of the movie, like, th- this this casting choice was so dopey that I actually came to like it. But the drill sergeant is played by Vince Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Vince Vaughn is making, like, such strange choices lately. Like, he had that terrible role in True Detective Season 2, and uh, and now he's doing stuff like this. But, but basically, um, what ends up happening is they have to take this this ridge this this huge cliff that's occupied by the japanese and the main character obviously has refused to touch a gun but he ends up uh you know saving a whole bunch of people after a particularly bloody battle because he he stays up there when everybody else retreats and he just drags people to safety um it's good it sounds like uh i'm gonna watch the hell out of that because it sounds like it's got some real real issues with this is why war is bad. Look at how awesome we kill people. <laughs> Dude, there's a scene. Listen to this. The very when the violence starts in the movie, they're like this isn't a big spoiler because it goes from like this very like Pleasantville type, you know, kind of moral drama where, you know, he gets thrown in the clink in basic training because he won't pick up a gun and will he or won't he? Will he give in to his convictions? He's praying. He's like punching a wall because he's just ah. <laughs> and then his 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 girlfriend comes in because he misses his um, he misses his wedding because he's he's stuck in detention, um, and she's like, baby, you just do what what's right for you. And he's like, they, they're trying to lock me up, and I just said I won't kill people. <laughs> and it's like, and this is supposed to be like earnest stuff, you know? <laughs> like they they all have these fucking ridiculous accents. Anyway, 
So it's going along and it's very sunshiny. Even even the drama is very like low played. And there's but there's really not a ton of build up to just the mag this is probably the most violent movie I've ever seen. And and there's no build up to the violence. So <laughs> basically they go they climb up this ridge and there's pretty good tension building. And like I said, try to keep in your mind that for the past hour and a half you've been watching like a lifetime movie essentially. So they climb up the ridge and this and they're moving in on this on the Japanese like uh, uh, bunker, you know, this bunker that's keeping them pinned down. And it's all quiet. <laughs> and then this guy crawls on top of what he thinks is the corpse of another US soldier. And the corpse pops up and starts screaming, right? And so the guy starts screaming, and then a huge bullet rips the corpse's head apart and, like, sprays brains all over the guy's face. And then he just gets chewed up by the machine gun itself. So these two this, this cor- these two corpses are, like, hugging and just getting, like, torn to bits, right? Like, and just chunks of them are coming off, and, like, blood is spewing. And then all of a sudden, it's just it, this orgy of violent to, violence. And it cuts, cuts to credits. Bomb, bomb, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this incredibly like and i guess on air canada if you're flying air canada to korea they don't edit the anything in those fucking movies so yeah. so i did i got to watch the full-on just like every movie yes. i watched was like was like pretty intense actually but but then then for the next like hour and because i think that movie's like three hours too but the next hour and a half is just the most absurd levels of violence i've ever seen in a movie ever uh, and I gotta admit, like it's it's entertaining. Like Mel Gibson does that shit well. He he's a he's a proficient action director. He's an insane person. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I'll watch all his movies. Um, the uh, I thought Get Your Gringo was really good. I it's it gets pretty cheesy at the end, but as a as an unofficial sequel to Payback, uh, oh. I think it's pretty. If, I see. I, I have that one in my Netflix queue, but I haven't watched it yet. It feels like the same guy. It feels like the same character, and it's. And it didn't deserve its its um, on demand video on demand uh, uh, penance that he had to pay there because what's that other one that like was it Bloodfather? Yeah, yeah. I can't. I'm having a tough time getting past that title because that looks like some dad shit. <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I have no doubt it's decent because he's a, he's a good filmmaker, and it might be that you know it's that uh, that terrible paradox that. Horrible, horrible people are can be pretty good artists, you know. Right. And uh, he, by uh, all accounts, he seems to be a horrible, horrible person. Right. Um, but I like Braveheart. I like Payback. I like uh, Get the Gringo. I liked uh, Passion of the Christ, and I am, uh, you know, an atheist. I just thought it was a violent, mean-spirited movie. So maybe I'm missing the point of that movie. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you but know, man. As, and, and as far yeah. as uh, the, somebody called it the uh, the Jesus Chainsaw Massacre. No, that movie that movie is great. It's fantastic, and you it's, know it's well made. I can appreciate the art there. So and I'll watch I'll watch this next one. But he does have this shitty tendency to get to get goofy with uh, his. Uh, we were soldiers. I didn't like that one because he got whenever he got, the whenever it's not violent, like his movies really start to suffer. So yeah. So I, I feel like Hacksaw Ridge, uh, it, the, the script pulls it through because the first half is it's it's really it's well put together. You know. I mean, you just if, if if the script is the way that it's shot, like you just have to shoot it, you know, which I think is like once you get into the realm of like the lifetime movie type people like that's really where script writers start to shine, because 
the director doesn't have to do very much. You just have to shoot it. And that's what I think happened with Hacksaw Ridge is that it had a very competent screenwriting team like carry Mr. Gibson like all the way to the part where people start chopping each other into pieces. And, and right. they're like, now go, right? Right. And that's we had this discussion earlier today. Amy and I were watching this uh, um, show, Welcome to the Basement, where they talk about movies. And um, they asked the question, whose fault is it if a movie's bad? And they tried to narrow it down um, to producer, director, actor, or writer. And their conclusion was, um, they seemed to come to the conclusion of producer. Uh, and we, we were talking about it, and it feels like director, like Mel Gibson turned kind of shit into gold there. You know, he had, mm -hmm. he might have this pedantic script, and he turned, and he used what he knew about efficient filmmaking. And I think the skill that you have to have to make a movie good, to make it look good, and look at vision. I don't want to sound like uh, uh, the the killer in Manhunter, but it's it's seeing with you, isn't it? Right. It's all. Right. It's all. So it's all seeing. So if somebody can make something look good, you can you can put aside those flaws for a long time. Which kind of goes back to what we were saying about about Wonder Woman. And I think Mel Gibson has that skill. It's weird that he's also an actor. Mm -hmm. That, but like that the, the thing we said about nepotism, all these skills kind of come from the same arena of of activity and interest and i he got an eye for it and he's with braveheart i think a lot of people hate that movie now it's got a revisionist backlash going no that but movie the, fucking rules man at the, at the time that had such a huge impact and it was out of the blue like whoa mm -hmm. mel gibson did this and um he's a he's a filmmaker so he's a, i think he's a really goddamn good filmmaker is the thing you know he just He's and he can take a bad script and make a, a watchable movie out of he's it. He's just a psychopath. He's so, a, and I think he's he's also racist and he's uh well and, yeah uh, and he's also um what was it? Did you ever listen to his uh his, the audio clips of his rants? Oh dude, they're fucking hilarious. Like he's yeah I thought, he's, I thought it was funny, but you know okay. It's it, it's it's certainly somebody trying to say the worst thing they could say. <laughs> Let's, let's leave it at that. Yeah, for sure. I, I got to piss real bad, and then we're going to talk about two movies that I know you've seen. So you'll you'll probably have thoughts. So I'll be right back. Okay. Actually, okay. One second before we before we get into these movies, um, talking about Mel Gibson and how like a terrible person he is has made me think about how movies have become, uh, in a weird way, like virtue tests when they should kind of just I, I feel like just sort of be movies. Now I. Like, I understand the merit of having movies where, like you said, like the whole row in front of you was preteen girls and they were loving it. And that's to that's really cool because you and I had that as boys, so they should totally be able to have that. I think what bothers me is when, like, grown-ass men uh, – we, we touched on this a little bit. But anyway, I have this Twitter account pulled up. It's for a guy named Mike Lawrence. Do you know who Mike Lawrence is? I, I don't. I'll go, I'll go there. But he is, uh, <laughs> since I'll, I'll, I'll tease the audience a little bit and say that <laughs> the last time you and I talked, I had a long rant about a certain writer that I completely cut out. Uh, but that, <laughs> but that, that writer, whoever that gentleman was, he's basically like Mike Lawrence, right? I'm, I'm looking at a picture of, uh, uh, a hipster kind of guy with the, the old black paste glasses and the big beard, and he seems to have Wolverine claws. <laughs> oh, my friend, you have found your way to Mike Lawrence's Twitter page. 
So basically, like, he's essentially doing what we're talking about, where he's... I don't like the term virtue signaling because it's been sort of co-opted by the alt-right to mean, like, any time you say that, like, hey, I think it's fucked up that cops shoot black people... Like they're like, oh, virtue signaling, and it's like, no, that's actually just something that I really. Yeah, I know. Think. Can you you can't comment on things that annoy you? Like, right. what, does it does it not is it not that if you say it out loud in your house, you know, I don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, exactly. But with this guy, with this Mike Lawrence guy, he's kind of an example of what I'm talking. Where it can go a little bit overboard, right? And he kind of fits in uh, your buddy from the closed captioning job who had all the action figures <laughs> and like the woke feminist warrior dude. He's exactly what the alt-right is talking about when when they're talking about the left. Oh, no, I, I'm, I have to look at the he's got 32,000 followers. So. So listen, 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 here's here's some choice tweets and this see if you can see what I mean by this. Right. I feel like America has been infected by Vigo's pink ooze, and we need a giant Statue of Liberty to save us. No, no. You, you, you see no. what I'm saying, dude? You see what I'm get, saying? Hold get, on. Wait, wait, get, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold it in. Hold it in, Dave. Hold it in. <laughs> he took a screenshot of an article called 15 Ugly Singers That Get By With Their Hot Bodies, and his commentary on it is, maybe we did get the president we deserve. Wait, wait, wait. Whatever the opinion du jour is, like, he's got it. And he buries his recycled opinion in, like, eight layers of pop culture references. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Get get thee to a nopery. <laughs> it's a, this fucking feed is a nope farm. Yeah. Are, 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 you, are you looking at it? Yeah. I mean, I can't get it's hard for me to get past all the the pop culture stuff just because it's um, kind of reminds me of Reality Bites. That was the that was where Is that Winona Ryder. Yeah. But it, right around that time, um, the Generation X uh, throwing around um, movie, throwing around references of nostalgia, pop culture was going on. And Reality Bites felt like the end of that, that somebody mm-hmm. finally just did it too much where you realize what was happening. You weren't just having fun anymore. Right. I don't know if you remember that movie, but there's a lot of um, forced references to, to like uh, every possible kitschy show and um, you know, planet of the apes and uh, my three sons and uh, all this, all this shit that, um, you know, at the mercy of the script. So it just lurches from reference to reference to reference. And it's kind of hangs all that on a, kind of likable group of people going through typical 20-something bullshit. Here, that looks like this Twitter feed is somebody hung all that stuff on a big lecture, and that seems like a horrible combination. Right. So so hold on. So I found some, I found some more, uh, 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 actually, here. There's a picture of this, this holding up a Wonder Woman action figure wearing a Wonder Woman shirt. And it says, ha- um, happy Wonder Woman Day. Uh, okay, so anyway, the guy might really like Wonder Woman, okay? Like, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. But hold on, hold the phone. Here his com- here's his commentary. Wonder Woman is a fun movie about a strong, confident woman who needs everything mansplained to her. Hold on, wait, one more. Um, 
Wonder Woman is the most progressive movie to feature a Native American named Chief who's good at tracking and using smoke signals. So wait, that was one of those things that I was going to make fun of. I think I forgot to make fun of that character. Is he saying that's good? Well, he's saying he's no, he's he's saying that it's a very progressive movie, but it still has like a this racist bit about uh, an Indian, I guess. Yeah, it's it's just funny that I bet that this guy, even though he, he calls out this one part of the movie for not being progressive enough, um, but would probably you know burst into a, a million shards of glass if he thought if for a minute somebody humored some criticism about the wonder woman character itself. Right. You know, like that's right, a bridge, right, right. a bridge, a bridge too far or the actual film, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we can talk about how it's, you know, not doing its, its job on this non movie related thing, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's like, like you... I just, I just, I don't know, man. I feel like I, I don't want to come from like this reality tunnel where I just, I feel like everybody's disingenuous, but my disingenuous, like, like detector is is on hyperdrive at all times. Well, with the, with somebody like this, is the movie fails at being a movie in some ways, and that's what I criticize it for. He's criticizing it for it for not being a representation of his politics. Right. So which is which is more valid? Like he won't approach saying that it's not a great movie, right. but he'll say that it's it's flawed in a way that it's not indicative of whatever's happening right now in culture. Right. One of those people likes movies and one of those people hates movies. That's what I think. One of those people doesn't like movies enough to be commenting on them. I know we, I, we said this last time, but this guy doesn't, what, why is he even going to a movie for? Right. If, he, if he doesn't want to uh, judge a movie based on its merits as a film, why why does we have to listen to him judged on its merits as hitting a checklist of what's appropriate? That just makes me fucking sick. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, what's your goal, though? Like, if your goal is to get those preteen girls in seats and show them that, like, women can be badass, you know what I mean? Like, how many things on the checklist do you really need to check off, you know? And and how many things do you even, like... It, it's it's the pointing it out, you know? It's the it's the taking up of mental space and, and actual time to specifically yeah, signal out things. You know, it's like, it's like I, I knew people were going to do that with Twin Peaks, the only black character is a prostitute. And then I started seeing like all the woke takes on Twin Peaks and how David Lynch is racist. And I was just like, no, <laughs> but I knew it was going to happen because you can't, you can't do anything on a, is, on a big scale like, these days without getting that treatment, without getting I mean, the take. This is uh, another really unpopular opinion, but it, um, if the movie is any good, that's all that counts. Like the the shitty movies that are also racist will will take themselves out of the of the equation. But if you have, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm saying no, that I know what you're saying. My I, I my concern it. is my concern is never is this thing inappropriate because in a, with an art form, it sh- it can be a fucking disaster. It can be a really queasy. It can be racist. It can be sexist. It can be just in your fucking face in a mess and still be a big success. When I was, uh, when I was in Korea, I found a DVD copy of the brave and you better believe I bought that shit. Have you seen the brave? No, I I was thinking of the brave one with Jodie Foster, but (laughs) no. Okay. So the brave was never released in America, right? Cause it was such a, it was such a fucking disaster. It was Johnny Depp's only directorial effort. Um, oh, okay. Okay. I've it, never seen it. Yeah, it's got it's got Johnny Depp and Marlon Brando. Uh Marlon Brando's great in it. And we watched it initially in uh when I was in college in Oklahoma, I took a 
two uh, semesters worth of native studies, right? And one of the classes was um, movies by non-natives about natives, and then the other one was uh, movies by natives about natives, right? So, um, and of course, The Brave, being Johnny Depp, was like put in on the, you know, not native side. Um, but like, it's, it's a complete disaster, but I love it. And it, it is racist, definitely. But that was what I loved so much about taking that class and what like a good college class and professor can do is this dude, his name was uh, Joshua Nelson. He's an incredibly smart, uh, actually he's a, he's a native dude, but he always like was able to show us just blindingly blisteringly racist movies and be like, we're not going to talk about how racist this movie is. Like we can all agree that it's racist, but like, we're going to go a little bit deeper here. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And people can't do that anymore. They, they can't do it. And they, I hate to compare it to, it, it's kind of like a when you hear a joke and people say you can't joke about certain things. And I just think that if it's, if it's funny, it's funny. Right. So the same way with a movie, if it's a movie, it's a movie. You know what I mean? I, that might make no sense when I listen to this later, if I listen to this later. So maybe these movies, if a movie is so offensive, they can, that conversation can go on somewhere else. But whether or not it's a successful film or not is an entirely different conversation. That's the one I like to engage in. That's, you know, I've got a lot of time. Um, that leaves me a lot of extra time to talk about uh, racism in the real world and racism, uh, you know, incidents with uh, cops killing people. That shit takes up a lot of my time. Um, so I don't have as much time to spend on movies that are uh, people find problematic, I guess, if that seems like a, a cop out. I don't know. I just, I have kind of a blind spot to art being offensive. I do too. And I think, you know what, honestly, man, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people do. And like the conversation that we're having right now is actually probably most of the clicks that they get are like hate clicks from people. But then, you know, you have like Mike Lawrence and, you know, he's got 30,000 followers and it's, it's all people who are like, oh, hell yeah. But those are probably also people who, you know, voted for Hillary Clinton. Right. I'm not going to go there this time, man. I cut that part out last time, too. Like, we're, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. But, uh, okay, so, like, let, let's actually talking about uh, a couple of white dudes here talking about race and how it's not important. Let's talk about Get Out, um, which I liked a lot. But I also watched uh, Split, which I think you and I agree, uh, of the two, might actually be a better movie. I think Split's a better movie. It's a better movie movie. I think Get Out has... Um... Get Out, I really like too, but as far as uh, and it's you know it has a lot to do with expectations. Who thought that old M Knight was gonna was gonna pull that ace out of his sleeve, right? Right. It sh it should have been terrible. It looked like it was gonna be a, as indulgent as anything he's done, and that sometimes is his Achilles heel. But I thought it was fucking great until it was. Maybe it the, was like it was. Uh, well, no, dude. I I feel like I feel like. Well, I'm talking about the end credit stinger. I hate oh, that. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, no, but I, I felt like James McAvoy when he turned into the beast. That was genuinely frightening. I was on board with that. I don't know. A lot of people they lost him at that point. The whole time I was thinking this beast better. They've already established that something vaguely supernatural happens, but they've established it in a scientific way. Right. Which is just enough for me to say I will follow you anywhere, beast. Whatever you are. You've already established that that's you've made a promise. You're going to do something really creepy and weird. So I had no problem with that. That's where a lot of people um, jumped off the off the M night train. But yeah, uh, yeah get get out was um, you know hyped through the fucking roof before I got to it. 
Um, but it's good. It's good in a, uh, it doesn't feel, this is, this is going to sound shitty, but it's, it only makes sense to people who talk to me all the time about these movies. Get Out doesn't feel like a movie to me. It's mm. really good. It's really good. Um, there's not, I don't, can't think of many interesting shots. The, the, the sunken place was kind of interesting, but, uh, kinda, I can't, it was sort of just like a body floating in black space. It's like, right. a, it's like, okay. It's like that script maybe could have been given to somebody who could have done something visually interesting with it. And then I would say that's a great movie as it stands. It's like, I don't know, the best black mirror episode ever made. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty great. And, uh, I feel like they did an effective job of getting me on board with the whole concept, which is completely ridiculous. But like, yeah, I was I w- hoping for some more jokes. Like that guy is hilarious. So yeah. where there was the one about how he voted for Obama was great. Yeah. And I, and I kept waiting for a lot of people talk you know, about the, it. The, the, the girlfriend was the girlfriend was the funniest part, actually. Like she was oh, she, yeah. she had great timing. Like she was the best. She was the funniest part of the whole movie. Yeah, she's she bugs me in uh, girls, but in this she seemed pretty attuned to it. And the fact that, uh, you know, spoiler alert, the fact that she seems to be collecting them all basically that she has this fetish uh, is really dark, and I love that. I love yeah. how distur- it's disturbing it got oh, at the no, end. It's, oh, it's it's the best part of the movie when he finds the box full of photos and it's her oh, with just sure. a bunch of different black dudes. And yeah. and you're just like, oh shit! Like that that was that part, and even even though it's like super heavy handed and not really earned, when he stabs the guy with the deer head, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that, yeah, that, that part that ruled. That was just that was just because it was it came out of left field for me. You know, I was just like, he 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 beat the son with the uh, what was that like a what do you, what the hell do you call that shit? Uh, it's not cricket, cro- croquet, the croquet okay, balls. Man. Well, no, the balls, the oh, yeah. bocce balls. They were bocce balls, right? Like, you hit him with a bocce ball, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And then the dad walks out of the surgery thing, and he's like, oh, whew, rough day, cutting open heads. I wonder where my son's at. And then, <laughs> like, he turns around, and it's like, bah, just impaled with antlers from a deer. And you're right. like, whoa. And, and they set it up earlier in the movie because they hit a deer, and then there's the deer head hanging over. I don't know. Yeah, whenever whenever like, symbolism is like beaten, like I, I feel like the guy who got stabbed with the antlers, you know, it's like, okay, I get it. I get right. it. It's, it's a deer thing. I get it. I feel like I had a lot more brilliant thoughts on get out when I first saw it, but I saw it. What's one of those ones where I got to it quick. So I, I caught it. I kind of exhausted a lot of conversations about it, but I, I think there's a lot of subtle stuff that I'm going to pick up on. If I watch it again, like, um, like the deer stuff with the, you know, the, the buck, like the, that sort of slur. Uh-huh. There's some weird, there's some weird shit that I think will make me appreciate it a little bit more. And the, the, um, uncomfortableness at the party, I think is going to go a long way as far as like rewatchability. Yeah. As far as the, um, as far as it not being as funny as I was hoping, that's, I think that's my issue is like, He's that dude's so hilarious, and they set up the subplot with the the TSA guy. Yeah, is it? And it doesn't really land, does it? It it doesn't, and and you you think you're in for comic gold there, right? You think that guy's gonna save the day, which he kind of does, and you think this he's gonna and the the fact that they use a TSA guy who the most hated occupation in the country right now, right? Yeah, and he's basically campaigning for why his job is awesome. That stuff's great, you know. That's a great idea, but where are the jokes? Like right. he just kept kind of saying, this is a funny thing that's going on here with me on the case. Right. 
without the jokes. Like it just needed some some, and the audience wanted them too. We were sitting yeah. there just waiting for that guy to give us those moments something, of something something funny. Well, that character, not even just something funny, but that character was clearly introduced as a way for the audience, an audience surrogate. So yeah, he shows yeah, up. He's a cipher, right? Exactly. So he shows up so that he can he can comment on this is fucked up, you know. Mm-hmm. So I kept waiting for that to happen in a really great release kind of way, mm-hmm. and it, and it didn't land. You're right. It didn't it didn't quite land. I don't yeah, know he, what happened. It didn't there. land, and he showed up, and I liked that. I liked that that Peel made the decision at the end to have a quote unquote happy ending. Like I, I do like that about it. Cause I, when the, when the cop thing showed up, it full, I'm easily fooled in movies though. So I don't know if it got you, but like when the cop light showed up, I was like, Oh fuck. It's like a night of the living dead type thing. But, uh, oh, that's, that is exactly what I thought was going to happen. I, I thought it was going to be a night of the living dead where some, somebody thinks they're doing something good, you know, accidentally kills that guy. Yeah. But, uh, I didn't catch that l- until later that the first cop, um, or what she didn't, she seemed like she was doing something good by saying, don't look at his license. Uh-huh. You know, like, why are you looking at his license? That Oh, you would, I didn't I, catch that. You're right, but, dude. But that's so that he didn't leave a trail. Oh, and that's I, crazy. And that's the kind of shit I think I'm going to appreciate on a second viewing. Whoa. I didn't get that either. Yeah. That actually, that, that little detail makes me, makes me like the movie more. Now that yeah. I think about it. Yeah. I didn't catch that at all. Cause I thought that the way that scene played out for me was just like, kind of uh i think like peel was like showing how awkward it can be when you're you're with a white person who's very comfortable talking shit to cops and you know when you're black you just are like it's cool take my id i don't care like run it right like they don't yeah it's it's easy for you to take right to take that stand right but then but then i think like uh to move over to split like i was surprised by how goddamn good that movie was like it, well, like it, all his it, all his movies look great, you know they it looked great. And people people forget that people even his shittiest movies like actually look pretty good. Definitely, the the village is the one that a lot of that's really polarizing, but it's beautiful. Every yeah. every scene is that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I, I I think probably his his worst visually is the happening, but that's just like his worst movie period. So, yeah, that one, that one does look a little cheap, but there's a there's a campiness to that where it seems intentional for the first time. Like it, he has some shitty movies where it seems like he's totally serious. <laughs> but yeah. with the hap the happening, it'd be tough to argue that he didn't realize what a shit show he had on his hands. Right, and that gets kind of infectious. That, mm-hmm. that gets kind of fun. But I mean, like the Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs are all like fantastic movies. Like they're really good, and I don't buy the whole like with Signs. It's like oh. Why would an alien come to Earth, which is 70% water, if it's allergic to what? It's the same thing we were talking about with Prometheus. Exactly. It's like, it's like shut the fuck up. Like, who, who cares? Like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to see a movie. It's a story, you... and things are metaphors. And, and, and the whole the, the alien thing is a metaphor for a larger thing. And there's some really good scares in science. When the um, there's that, like, Mexican birthday party, and the alien oh, yeah. first walks out. That's, that's one of the what... most frightened I've been in a theater ever. I was like, what the f... Because like, you didn't expect, like, the the audacity of it. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't expect for it to just walk out like that. You know? Sure. And the um, and that was one of the first, like, found footage uses that really worked well, you know? That's somebody watching a, some footage that's um, that fucks you up. That worked well. Plus, that has the... Uh, what do you call it? The... Um, the baby monitors, real clever use of baby monitors in that movie. Yeah. To make to make the kind of chatter on those creepy. Now, did he do did he do the village after signs? 
Yeah. Okay, so that's where it all went wrong. I, but, you know, I don't think The Village is a bad movie, though. I, th- I prefer The Village to The Signs, but that's probably because of my aversion to CGI and that alien at the end really ruined it for me. I see. But I, but I think it was Signs was kind of a, one of his masterpieces up until up until the big reveal. And that, that baseball bat thing was kind of kind of stupid. Swing home, Joaquin. Swing, swing away. It's like, oh, that's geez, it we've, been, away. we've been waiting. That's the big punchline. But yeah, he's. Um, I'm glad to see him back because he. Uh, when they're he was... when they're when they're in the basement though, and the lights go out, that was also one of the first times I've seen that used super effectively. You know, there's like no lights. Remember that part in Signs? Barely. So they're it. they're hiding in the basement from the alien thing. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. I do. And and the lights go out, and you just hear it's it's a masterpiece of like fucking sound design because you hear the thing like moving around. Right. I saw I saw it in a theater, and I haven't seen it since. So. I don't know. I don't know how how well that movie's aged. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely got some great. Bu- he's great with the buildup. You know, he's great with the what's going on. That's why the village. A lot of people hated it because of the reveal, but there's such a sense of dread to that movie that I really like that. It, that uh, community, um, so that, you know, that even when the twist, kind of takes the the wind out of it, um. The dread and the the atmosphere goes a long way, and he does that really well. And that's why with Split, he had that atmosphere back. You know, it's like he had his mojo back. Oh, dude. His last his yeah. last one with the uh, that was a found footage. That was him kind of on the on the Blumhouse train where he did the uh, kids go to see their grandparents, and they decide to record the thing on the phone. It's Wait, it's a what? real. He did a movie that nobody saw. It's uh, it's called. I remember. Like the... I remember. So here are the movies I remember from him after that. Lady in the Water, super bad. Uh, the Happening, super bad. And then Devil, which I didn't see. Which is he the only pro- he produced that. Oh, he didn't. He didn't direct that movie. Correct. Okay, and then uh, After Earth, which I did see, and <laughs> that was just like astonishingly bad. So what's this found footage movie? It's called The Visit, and it's two kids go to visit their grandparents, and uh, I'm gonna let you experience the twist. You'll see the twist coming this time. Um, but it's, it's on, I think it's a freebie on Netflix right now. It's, it's definitely not hard to find, but it's called the visit and it's him chasing the, chasing the found footage genre, um, which was kind of sad. It looked like it was going to be the end of him, you know, like, Oh shit, he's got to He's got to do the paranormal activity kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And that's cause that's not where his strength lies. His strength lies in visuals and, and a polished film look, you know? Right. So for him to resort to running around with a, with an iPhone, and having kids chatter, but you know what? It, it's got its moments where it looked like it wasn't something that you could totally dismiss. That there were some ideas there, right? But that's where I thought he was going to be—he um, was going to be stuck. Was doing those kind of cheapies. It was it's definitely a, a VOD movie. So when the with the this new one split, it's like that's a real movie. He they let him they gave him chance number twelve, and he's he, fig- <laughs> he, he figured it out. You know, right. well, I think I think what Split does so well more than. It's it's like a clinic in how to set up rules for your movie, right? Because that yeah. it's really great at establishing rules so that you don't cuz it has a completely absurd concept, right? And but like, I was convinced by it when that when they start explaining it, usually that exposition kind of puts you at arm's length, but when she explained He literally did like the fact that like she's a she's a professor who's studying split personality so she can explain it. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's so dorky, but it it works. It works. Yeah. Cuz she delivered in an and you you're a big fan of uh uh what is it? Horace and Pete. Mhm. Mhm. 
we're I haven't watched all those yet. I'm working my way through them really slow. But there was the there's the episode where the uh, what's her name from Roseanne just does this long speech about cheating on her husband with oh, the yeah. old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's one of those things where, at, because of the skill of the actor involved, she sat there and told that story for like what a half hour. Yeah. Without without a single edit, and I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. That's kind of what happened in Split, not at that length, but when she when they cut to those long speeches, they're done really well. Like he, the dialogue really served his purpose, and he picked actresses and actors that were good at it. Like well, the actress who plays that psychologist, like she does such a phenomenal job because I couldn't pin her down actually, until she sees that you know he's wreaked all this havoc. Like, she plays that really, where you don't really, you know that she kind of, like, thinks that something's fucked up with him, but you don't know the depth of how, like, how deep she thinks he's fucked up. Does that make sense? Right. Like, I I felt like she did, and then James McAvoy fucking killed it. He annoys me sometimes, but, like, he he bothered me in, like, he bothered me in filth, uh, but, because he has a tendency to overact, but somehow... It got just like reined into like this perfect. Oh, like, so good when he when he reveals he's Dennis. Yeah. To her, and he does it with. And just he's playing. He's a, he's, a look. he's Dennis he's, as playing the fashion designer Barry, yeah. gay guy. Like so, exactly. he's playing. He's, he's, like he's three, three characters. characters. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, he's three characters, and it's so good as she's talking, and he's like slowly revealing, and he changes the voice and all that, and like, yeah, no, I mean, I actually think that Split might be one of my favorite movies that I saw this year. Like, if he doesn't get, uh, that'll definitely prove the conspiracy theories about no genre movies allowed in the Oscars. If he doesn't get nominated right. for for best actor, if they might have to downgrade it to best supporting actor, even though that wouldn't make any sense. But they've seen people they do that before because they think they have a better chance in a different category. Right. But he deserves a nomination of some kind because I haven't seen anybody put that much work into. You know, doing his one job. You know, an actor. Well, you have you, one job. Well, no, when when you when you think about the movie, like in in retrospect, I'm thinking about it, and I think of his different personalities as different people. You right. know what I mean? Like I consider them like as. You know how fucking hard that's got to be. Sure. Like that's insane. He, have you seen Raising Cain? Mm-hmm. So that's that was kind of a trial run. There's a lot of similarities, um, and John Lithgow does a pretty decent job of playing about what is it like four or five people in that one yeah, yeah, yeah um but i never like you just said where you think of it as different people i totally agree because i like raising cane i'm a huge de palma fan anyway yeah but but i never think of it as five or four or five different people i think of it as john lithgow chewing some scenery which is very enjoyable right but but not like this master class that you get from split where it seems like you remember it as different human beings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like, the, the, and then at the end of the movie, like when he turns into the beast, and you know, th- just the feeling of I think like one of the girls tries to stab him, and the knife breaks off. Like it's so well played, dude. Because it's just right. th- like you said, they've been giving hints that this is like kind of a supernatural thing that's going on. But I don't. I, I gotta watch it again just to see like how they make the whole thing fucking fit together, or how. Yeah, it's yeah, that'll have to fit together. It'll, his all his movies, even his shitty ones, have pretty decent rewatchability. Now I, I haven't seen After Earth or The Last Airbender, whatever the fuck it is. Oh, I forgot he did that one too. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't seen his two kids movies, um, and I might never get around to them. But his other ones, 
even at their worst, I leave them on. I let them. I let them well, play. Dude, just, just, just like tell him like you have you have carte blanche as long as it's like an R-rated Hitchcockian exactly. Thriller, Make know? a movie for adults and and you can do what you want. Right, right, and uh, and I I, I think that. Uh, yeah, it's also it's also funny to me because like you can kind of see you can see directors like when you watch movies, right? So like like when you watch a Larry Clark movie, you feel skeevy, you know what I mean? And what's so kind of adorable to me about Shyamalan is that this movie like it's lecherous, but it's very it's it's so like so like chaste at the same time, you know what I mean? He's like, oh, the girls have to like in any other director's hands, like teenage girls taking their clothes off would be just so skeevy and gross. But right. Like, and the... in, in this one, it just it, it actually feels sexless in a weird way. Like it's like, oh, OK. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a you're uncomfortable when you're, you're wondering what is going to happen with them. It's, and then like the one uh, she like pisses herself to, to keep the OCD version of the guy away from her. Yeah. All that stuff is fascinating, but it makes you think, is he? Is M. Night the kind of guy who's going to go full horror with this? You know, right. full, like, take the, the implications of what's happening here, his collection. Right. And, uh, and that's why when he, spoiler alert, anybody who's listening, when he arbitrarily dispatches them, yeah. uh, that, that just, that felt pretty ballsy. Like, uh, oh, you thought we're, they're going to get saved. No, no, they get eaten. Oh, no, and it's so, like, and, and he does, he does the Hitchcock shit so well because the hangar, uh, trying to move the bolt, the, the the slider bolt, you know, over like that was such yeah, a great shot. And then it doesn't great it, it doesn't pay pieces. off. They're just fucked. Like they just die. Right. You yeah, know, he's a um, he's a set piece guy. He's definitely the Hitchcock thing is is pretty um, is pretty accurate. Just like De Palma is a you know a, a Hitchcock disciple. Right. Um, right. Well, it so seems it's, like so it's seems no like, accident that they end up in similar places. Sure. It just seems like De Palma probably like. He probably masturbates to like weird S and M like magazines, yeah. like paper magazines. And M Night Shyamalan probably like masturbates to MTV's Undressed reruns. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's just, it's just like different like levels of uh, like how the women characters are treated. Which that that chick from the 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 witch who's in it, she's great. Like yeah yeah, I love I love the fact that like she's actually thinking about it and the movie's fucking dark actually now that we think about it since this is a big spoiler podcast like uh, hold on one second but since this is a big like spoiler podcast like when the movie ends like she goes back to her molester uncle you know oh right yeah yeah it's like hey your uncle's here to pick you up like that's the last shot of her you know I assumed I. I haven't seen that since the, I only saw it the one time. So are we, is the implication that she might split that there might be to deal with that trauma? We, she might develop, uh, this other personality I think to protect so. herself. I think, I think that's what we're supposed to get. But I mean, regardless, it's like, yeah, that's pretty the, the, dark. The, the, the way the movie plays it is like, this guy essentially has gotten away with, uh, cause her dad dies and she's a, she's a little girl when it happens. She's like seven years old, right? Seven or eight or right. something like that. And, so she's what 18 in this movie so we're supposed to understand that she's undergone a decade of she's all cut up and shit like a decade of torture and rape so and then at the end of the movie after she kills this guy who completely arbitrarily picked her to be a sacrifice to this like supernatural creature after she makes it through all that she's getting sent back into that hell 
right? Right. So yeah, but it was it was weirdly not a downer. <laughs> that right. sounds gross. Right. But it seemed like she was gonna be able to deal with him easily or something. Right. But right. She, right. She, she dealt with the worst thing there was, so he's gonna be something that she doesn't need to be rescued from. Okay, Rios is back. I gotta wrap this up. Let's wrap it up. Any cool, final man. final thoughts on? All of these films and all of these non-controversial topics. Uh, number one, uh, racism and sexism are not real. And <laughs> no, I'm just. And uh, number two, movies are movies are in good shape, man. Overall, I would say. Like I watched four on a plane and I liked all four of them. So, did you did you go through all four? Was that all four of them? Mm-hmm. That was the Scorsese. It was um, Hacksaw Ridge, Get Out, and Split. Oh, I guess, I guess we're done. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> a long one, guess, dude. We 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 went over two hours this time. I guess there's no more movies to talk about, huh? Yeah, and I I, I talked I talked to another guy today for an hour, so I've actually done three hours of podcast today. Oh fuck him! This is this is where the this is where the important <laughs> shit gets talked about. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, we'll uh, we should pick the next movie that we watch. Um, yeah, this worked out well. I'm glad we picked Wonder Woman so we could both watch it together. <laughs> Well, let's go back, dude. I want because I want to talk about like I'm really into like early uh, '90s crime stuff. So like, let's go watch like One False Move and shit like that, and talk about that shit. Well, yeah, or let's pick a horror movie maybe because there's that. Uh, it comes at night or whatever. I'd like oh, to see that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I'm kind of into this new wave of horror that we might be having. You know, we had we had the the '90s scream, postmodern snark fests. Mm-hmm. Then we had like the grim. 70s throwback realism with the hostels and all that shit. And now we have like this very, very art, almost art house kind of. Well, yeah, on. or I think we've got kind of an 80s throwback going on with social satire, like The Purge oh. and Get Out. Oh, okay, okay, cool. That, yeah, it, yeah, I can dig it. it. Feels, so, like, I'm, I'm thinking that that might be It Comes at Night, so I'm kind of into this this new throwback. Throwback, okay. throwback. So, okay, cool. All right, man. man. I'll scout him out. Tell everybody I said hey. All right, sounds good. Talk to you later, buddy. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Bye.